This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Wednesday edition of the Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. We've got Phillies in action at Citizens Bank Park. We've got updates for you throughout the day. Currently, nothing, nothing's your score in the third. Tough night for the Phillies last night. Couldn't get it, the offense going. And they lose 2 to nothing against the Mets. So this is the rubber game here, trying to win the three-game set with the Metropolitans. Nola and Scherzer getting the call today. A lot of strikeouts so far. In fact, Nola just picked up one as we uh, have this conversation. I think Nola's actually got three uh, in the early portions of this game. Nola's got three. Scherzer has three. Uh, Scherzer's given up one hit. Nola still has not given up one as... uh, that one just got uh, sent into the state, into the uh, bleachers. So, yes, Nola just gave up his first hit and his first run of the game. It's a solo shot there uh, for the Mets. Uh, Nimmo hits the homer, so the Mets lead one nothing over the Phillies. So the Phillies lose last night 2 to nothing. They're down one to nothing currently at Citizens Bank Park. We will get you updated on the game throughout the day. Uh, so keep it here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. I want to start things off. We've got uh, we got a lot. Phillies lost last night. Scherzer, Nola right now. Sixers, Raptors. Full schedule of that series has been released. And you can get that full series up to date over at 973ESPN.com. Some of the highlights from that series getting ready to go. As George Niang spoke today, you'll hear what he had to say about Embiid and the MVP Niang also said he's feeling great ahead of the postseason. If you remember, he missed a couple of uh, games at the end of the season with a knee problem. He reiterated today that if the two games were playoff games, that he probably would have been able to play in those games, so he was precautionarily sitting. He's very important in the series. We're going to go over the level of importance for each guy. But James Harden, I want to start with Harden today. Harder was asked yesterday whether he felt any pressure, right? Did he feel any pressure entering this series? And he essentially said, no, don't feel any pressure. I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Is this a series where James Harden does have something to prove to people? Is he a proven winner? In your mind, when I say James Harden, do you think of a winner? Or do you just think of a, I don't want to say a great player. He is a great player. He's not a complete player. He's not a great defensive player. Is he a great competitor, though? When I say James Harden, do you think of a great competitor? When I say James Harden, do you think of a complete player? Or do you just think of a scorer? When I think James Harden, do you think of a champion? And I think a lot of the answers to that question are probably no. And if the answers to those questions are no, and they remain no, well, obviously you know what's going to happen. James Harden may have said he doesn't feel any pressure, but guess what, James? 
the pressure is squarely on. And the pressure is squarely on you. Joel Embiid has pressure. There's no question. But Joel Embiid is being looked at as the guy who got disrespected, or I should say the guy who was going to be disrespected. Joel Embiid is not going to win the MVP. That's going to go to Nikola Jokic. And we could talk about whether or not that is just, unjust. There's been a lot of conversation why Embiid wouldn't get this award. I don't have a problem with Jokic winning the award. I can give reasons for both. And because I can give reasons for both, I don't have a problem with either one of them winning the award. I can say Jokic deserves it because this, 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 and this. And I can say Embiid deserves it because of this, 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 and this. There is no clear-cut winner to me with those two. But the pressure's not on Embiid because most people view him as the guy who should win the MVP or at least is deserving of the MVP. James Harden has a lot more to prove. And there's a lot of reasons why you take a look at James Harden and you would say, what does he have to prove? This guy's done X, Y, and Z. Yes, he has done X, Y, and Z. He has done a lot, James Harden. He's had a great career. But one thing in his career that is lacking is playoff success. Right? Do we all agree on that? James Harden has not had a laundry list of playoff success. And because he hasn't had this playoff success yet in his career, I think the pressure's on. Tim Legler this morning said this. You can say things for public consumption. You can't escape the dark recesses of your own mind. <laughs> when you're driving around in your car by yourself, when you're spending time in your own thoughts, yeah. there is no question in my mind he feels it, he reacts to it. Unfortunately, the reason that he is feeling it and he's reacting to it internally is because of what his track record has been. There have been moments, and you can go back to that run in Houston, you know, usage rate off the charts. Never seen a guy play that way before. That much dribbling to get into his own shot, leading the league and scoring. That was Tim Legler this morning. He said he could say it all he wants. But when you're driving around with your own thoughts and you're thinking about it, what are things that I haven't been able to accomplish? And one of the biggest things James Harden hasn't been able to accomplish is taking a team to the pinnacle. James Harden has been the guy who, you know, there's a lot of guys like this in the NBA lore. Josh, I'm sure you can add a bunch of guys to my list. But James Harden, to me, is in that category of the Dominique Wilkins. The Cl- uh, Clyde Drexler ended up winning a championship. But when he was the guy in Portland, they couldn't get it done. He ended up, the, Drexler got one in the, on that one Rocket team, right? The Rocket team with Elijah Wan. What I was going to say is, I, I thought Wilkins was the first perfect name. Because... Harden and Wilkins have both never been to a finals. Drexler got there with Portland twice. He did. Harden and Wilkins haven't been to the finals. But there's a lot of guys from that era that were really, really good and just got knocked off because of Jordan or got knocked off, you know, because they just weren't on that next level. And I feel like at the end of the day, right now, Harden is at that level of like, Dominique Wilkins, to me, and look, I grew up in the Dominique era. 
He, he was the human highlight film. He was a phenom. It wasn't that Dominique was a sharpshooter or he just was a highlight film. Yep. He could dunk. He wasn't a great shooter, right? No. He wasn't a multi-layered player. He just was a, a, a great athlete. He was a force of nature. Right. He could just dunk. He could get to the basket. But he wasn't. He was also a very, very good rebounder. He wasn't. Like I, I will say this. At that era, the three-point shot was not a big part of the game. Not at all. So to sit here and say, well, Clyde Drexler couldn't shoot the three. He wasn't good at a three. That's or not Clyde. Um, Dom. Dominique. Dominique Wilkins. Like, But that level of player, they were really, really good, but they just weren't good enough. They were missing something. They were just missing something. And I feel like, like Harden's a better scorer than Dominique was. Right? That's that's probably not debatable. No, but I think people would say that Dominique was a better defender. Dominique, probably, yeah. Well, Dominique was more, at that time, you had a lot of small forwards at that time that were like these six, seven, six, eight guys who were just athletes, and, the, and they were just starting to come into the league. Yep. And in the, uh, the, the late, mid to late 80s and early 90s, you had like these six, seven, six, eight athletes that were these, they were small forwards. Right, that guy's not even really a part of the league anymore. No, that guy's either uh, a, two, a a shooting guard or a stretch forward at this point. <laughs> but like, I feel like right now Harden is in the category of the Dominique Wilkins of the world, the guys who were really good. Now Dominique was associated with one team. He bounced around at the end to the Clippers. I think he played in Boston for a year. He played in Orlando for a hot minute with his brother. But he was a hawk. And this is becoming James Harden. He was a Rocket. I mean, he played in Oklahoma City, but he was the Sixth Rockets. Man of the year. He was the Rockets. He was what the, he was the face of that organization for about a ten year stretch, and he just couldn't get it done. Right. And I feel like now he's bounced around. He's in Brooklyn. Now he's in Philly. He's kind of becoming this mercenary. That at the end of the day, you might look back and say, "Look, Dominique Wilkins was great, but he just wasn't good enough." And that's why I ask. The pressure is on Harden here, unless he's just okay being, he was great, but he just wasn't great enough. And if he's okay with just being not great enough, then the pressure's not on. Then he's right. He's being sincere when he says, I don't feel any pressure. I've already accomplished a lot. Dominique Wilkins accomplished a lot, but you know what he didn't accomplish? The pinnacle of the game, winning an NBA championship. And if you just want to beat Dominique Wilkins, that doesn't mean you are a failure I just look at you differently than I look at Larry Bird. I just look at you differently than I look at Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or Isaiah Thomas. Those guys I look at a little differently than I look at Dominique Wilkins. So I'm going back to when I was a kid and saying, James Harden, you're my Dominique Wilkins right now. I, there's a lot of guys, too. There was a lot of guys in that era that fit that mold. I said Clyde Drexler. That might not be a good one because Clyde, you're right, did get them to a finals for Portland, and he won an NBA finals in Houston. Yo, I'll give you one. Sidney Moncrief, you know, multiple-time All-Star in the 80s, one of the top defensive players in the league. He was a multiple-time All-Star with Milwaukee. Never could get past the Sixers or the Celtics or the Pistons. That's one guy you can bring up very, very easily. He was a big-time star in the 80s, but he never could get his team to the final. Right, and, you know, even if there's somebody... Chris Webber is another guy. Yeah, whoever plays a completely different position. But he never got to the finals, and he was a he was a 
When he was at Wait his a peak. I, wasn't I the one that before that said Weber should be in the the uh, Hall of Fame and you're telling me no way? No, no, you were saying Weber should be in the top 75 all time, and I said no way. Hmm. All right. I didn't disagree should be in the Hall of Fame. I think everybody gets in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's That's realistic. <laughs> Kiki Vandaway is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Come on. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of guys that were really, really good players. They and just couldn't get their team to the final. just couldn't get their team to that next step. And you'd hate to see... Alonzo Mourning. Uh, th- th- did he get to a finals once? I mean, if he did, maybe it was at the very end with the Miami Heat. I mean, with that, that era with him and Tim Hardaway in Miami in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. They had Eddie Jones. Remember, he came in as the uh, the hired gun after yeah. the Lakers ran You're giving down. me guys, though, that are completely off the, the of my mindset in terms of the position. Like, big oh, you're guys. going specifically position. Yeah, because of the situation of... Harden controls the whole game, mm-hmm. right? The way that he controls the game, the way that the ball is in his hand so much, what he was brought here to do. It's hard to bring in a big guy. And I mean, in that era is different. The, the centers kind of did have a bigger factor in the game. But like James Harden was brought here to be that guy to get that big bucket. Mm-hmm. You're not getting Alonzo Mourning to get a big bucket, really. You know, you're not bringing right. him in in that situation. Like but you could see with Chris Webber, for example. I mentioned Sidney Moncrief earlier. He was a that quote unquote small forward back in the '80s. Harden to me was brought here to be the guy who gave, gives this team something they've never had. The guy that was able to one on one. Hey, the other team's on a 10-0 run. We need to end it. How do we end it? I have the ball in my hands. I get to the basket, I get to the foul line. Or I have the ball in my hand, I get to the basket, I blow past you and get ourselves a quick layup and end that 10-0 run. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. And that's why he says, hey, I don't think the pressure's on me. And I think the pressure is squarely on him. You know, you might say, well, why isn't it on Embiid? It's slightly on Embiid, but they didn't trade for Embiid to get that bucket. They traded for Harden because they don't think Embiid can always get that bucket. Also, the fact that Embiid carried this team for so much of the year by himself. They wanted to have another guy out there who named was Tyrese Maxey doing something. Well, they needed a guy that was more accomplished than Tyrese Maxey. A guy that they could trust a little bit more. Not that they don't trust Maxey. It's just that he's inexperienced. And it's like, hey, I'm not going to put the ball in the hands of a 20-year-old kid and say, hey, go get me a bucket with the last 30 seconds with a chance to win the ball game. Now, people are texting in some names. Tracy McGrady comes to mind in the James Harden conversation. Okay, now you're going into the 90s era of guys, which is fair. Yeah, McGrady would be one of those guys. He was a wing who guy. Was really good. Led the league in scoring. Not good enough. Yeah, he never got his team to the finals. You know, he was, well, it was supposed to be him and Grant Hill in Orlando. Then Grant, you know, had all the health issues. But then he got traded to the Rockets. He was the guy before Harden. Before Harden, it was him and Yao Ming in Houston. Mike, I don't think, uh, he says, Mike, that's what I'm worried about. I don't think Harden as a player with the dog competitor mentality. The only way the Sixers make it to the finals is if Joel takes not getting the MVP personal and goes on a tear, and if Maxie makes a John ja Morant-type jump in these playoffs, period. It's a good text there. I don't look at Harden as that guy that has that competitive nature either. 
He doesn't. It's just not part of it's not part of his DNA. And that's frustrating because and look, I have not been the biggest Harden fan in his career. I have been very critical of Harden during his time in Houston. Uh, I thought that now you pointed out, look, Harden's resume, he is the MVP of the league. He's been the league MVP. He's a 10-time All-Star, six-time first-team All-NBA. He is a All-NBA third-team once. He was the sixth man of the year. He's won the scoring championship three-time. He led the league in assists once. He's an All-75th anniversary team. What is missing on that list is team accomplishments. He doesn't have a lot of team accomplishments. Now, he's won the gold uh, at the Olympics in 2012. Oh, so it's Carmelo Anthony. I'm just saying, that's his only <laughs> team accomplishment that you can really come up with. I bet you most people listening don't even know where he went to college. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. People out there listening probably don't even know where he was selected in the draft. Wasn't he third? He was the third pick in the draft. Now, do you know his college? It's a Pac-12 school. It's either... It's either Arizona or Arizona State. Good job. Which one is it? Arizona State. Okay. He was a Sun Devil. He was the third overall pick. His career was started off in Oklahoma City. He played with Durant and Westbrook. They made it to the finals at a very young age. They offered him a contract. He did not take the contract. They traded him to Houston. He gets to Houston and turns that franchise completely around. He's the MVP of the league. But the team's success, for whatever reasons, I'm not sitting here saying he was a bum, but there were playoff failures for the Rockets for a multitude of reasons. Injuries have been a problem. But there also have been many games that have been memorable for the wrong reasons. Correct. And when you look back at some of the leads that the Rockets had in some playoff series... You look back and say, man, if he just played a little bit better, how how would that game go? You remember the game against the Spurs in the game six loss. He had an unbelievable year in the 2016-27 season. And in that final game, you remember he fouled out with like four minutes left in the game. He I shot do. two of 11. He, had he completely fell apart. Ten points in that game. And they got knocked out in the second round against the Spurs. You go back to that game, and that's kind of where you started to look at some of the, the the failures late. You remember the game? Well, there's a, there's a famous game in Game 7. Him and the Rockets had the Warriors right there for the taking. The worst three-point shooting game of any team in NBA playoff history. He was 3 of 20. Yeah, his, his team, but the whole team played like garbage. Well, they were up in that series... They were up in the series, and Chris Paul got injured. Yeah. Then the Warriors came storming back. The Game 7, I believe, was in their building. And Harden and Eric Gordon, I mean, this team was built about three-point shooters, and they couldn't buy a bucket. And, I mean, some of those shots were horrible misses. They, they got eliminated in the second round in 2019 by the Lakers. Um, they had That, that was a, a year, too, where it was just a, a dud for him. Yep. He had that horrible shooting in the 18th season, and there's been plenty of times where you look back and say he just did not play big in big moments, in big games. He's had playoff games where he scored 35. But if you're asking out there, 
Do you think the pressure is on James Harden? I don't know how it can't be. If you put the list of pressure, Harden is at the top of the list. Does the fact that he says there's no pressure bother you at all? No, that's his mentality. You know, he's a very kind of laid-back kind of guy. I mean, so I get it. But I think what Legler said is, and I'll play the bite for you real quick again. You can say things for public consumption. You can say things for public consumption. Hey, James, do you feel pressure? And Harden's response was along the lines of, no, I've already accomplished. What do I have to be, right? What do I have to be? Why? What pressure is on me? I've already accomplished everything I need to accomplish. Well, then do you want to be a champion? And not only do you want to be a champion, do you want to be a champion in a town that is starving for a basketball championship? That's the question. You don't get this type of scrutiny playing in Houston. You don't get it playing in Brooklyn, even if it's New York. Nobody cares about the Nets. You don't get it playing in Oklahoma City, that's for sure. If you don't do what you were brought here to do, people are going to look at you as the reason why. They're not going to look at Joel Embiid. They're not going to look at, no, some will look at Doc Rivers. That's just, you know, there's a part of a fan base that just, that's who they blame. Yeah, that's what I was saying last night with Kevin McCormick. I said, there's a group of this fan base, no matter what happens, if they don't get to the conference finals, they want Doc Rivers fired immediately. Russell Peters, Act Your Age, World Tour, Saturday, August 20th, Ocean Casino Resort, Atlantic City. Tickets are on sale Friday at 10 at Ocean, at theoceanac.com. Sorry. Sports Bash Live, another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip is coming up at 2.55 today. So stick around in about a half an hour or so. You'll get a chance to pick your trip, qualify for Pick Your Trip, I should say. Mike McGarry's here. Ryan Roberts at 3 o'clock today. Also, Jeff Mosher has football at 4. Paul Hudrick on the Sixers. And Jeff Kerr on all the NFL. Steve Nelson, by the way, the Sixers, uh, the Eagles corner from last season. He has signed with a new team. Get the details now at 973ESPN.com. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 973ESPN and the 973ESPN free mobile app. Now, back. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. All right, more Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Phil's in some trouble. It's 2-0 Mets. Bases are loaded, one out. Nola is all over the place today. Could be his last hitter here. A base hit could be it for Nola. Dominguez is warming up for the Phil's. Could get a ground ball double play and get out of this thing. We'll see. I'll keep you up to date. Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You can download the app at the Apple Store or Google Play. Thanks to First Bank of Sea Isle City. I'm Mike Gill. Don't forget, we've got another chance for you to pick your trip coming up at 2.55 today. And when you do, hear that pick your trip sounder. Be caller number seven. And caller seven is entered in for a chance to win a Eagles road trip of your choice. You pick the Eagles road game you want to go to. And that's all thanks to our friends at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop. Yes, indeed. Um, we're talking a little Harden. Sixers play the Raptors on Saturday. 
Uh, the full schedule is out. I hate the schedule. I got to be honest. I, it, it's uh, it's a little inside baseball why I hate it, but I don't like it even though it is ruining my Thursday next week. The schedule for the games for the Sixers, for those of you who want to try to, because it just got released this morning, so if you haven't got a chance to see it, you're trying to figure it out. I do not like the schedule. Here it is. They play Saturday at 6. We'll have that game on 97.3. Monday night, they play at 7.30. So it's Saturday, off Sunday. They play Monday. They're off Tuesday. They play Wednesday, 8 o'clock. So it's a little bit later game on that Wednesday when they go back to Toronto. Game four, Saturday, 2 o'clock. I hate a 2 o'clock in the afternoon playoff game. It just doesn't feel the energy's not there. A 2 o'clock afternoon game, especially on a Saturday. You put it on a Sunday, is different. Saturday at 2. That is like you two are the two teams we care about the least. We're going to stick you in the worst possible time. Saturday afternoon, have fun with that. I hate that game. I don't understand the value of that at all. I guess they got to try to get all, you know, it's probably going to be like a quadruple header, maybe. That game's a TNT game, though, at 2 o'clock on Saturday on TNT. Yeah, you think Chuck and Shaq want to go into the studio that early? Oh, today? he hit them. My God. Do I think he wants to go? No, I don't think they want to go in the studio at 2 o'clock <laughs> or whatever time they're going to have to be there Saturday. Probably be like two, three hours ahead of time. Those guys, they roll in there. Game five is Monday <laughs> night, TBD. That game is in Philly. Then Thursday, April 28th, game six. Now, if April 28th sounds familiar, it is the same night as the NFL draft. This is a very important draft for the Eagles. They have two picks in the draft. They've already made a trade. Something else could crazily happen on that night. Thursday night, are you flipping back and forth between draft and Sixers? I know everybody has multiple devices. By the way, Nola is out of the game already. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> um, lost that bet. <laughs> Although he did strike out the five I needed. The problem was he's out of the game, and I said he'd give up four more hits. He only gave up two hits, and he's already out of the game. That's how bad he was today. <laughs> he's out of the game and didn't even give up the four hits I thought he would. Uh. And he's not out of the game because he's pitching great. He's out of the game because he's pitching horrible and still didn't give up four hits. How's that possible? God, he stinks. (laughs) All right. Thursday, I get it. Everybody's going to have two devices. You're watching the draft. You're watching the Sixers. But Which device gets the sound we always talk about? What device gets the sound and the most attention? That's a tough pick, man. I am so into the draft. I wait all year for the draft, Monday night or Thursday night. And you're going to give me the Sixers game at the same exact time. I I hate it. Why would the NBA want any playoff games across that, up against that? And this is the thing, Josh. The Sixers play Monday. They're off Tuesday and Wednesday. There's no need to play that game on Thursday. Who makes this decision? A flight from Toronto to Philadelphia is what, two and a half hours? If that. My God. Like, you look at that schedule and you say, the NFL draft is on Thursday night. I want every game away from that. Right. The the NBA should just avoid the NFL at all costs. At all costs. They do it during the year. They don't play their Thursday nights on TNT until the Thursday night football games are done. That's correct. Now, what would make them not avoid the biggest offseason night of the year? That The NFL draft is going to get double-digit ratings. And you're going to put Philadelphia and Toronto on Thursday night across from the NFL draft? It's probably the worst watched 
game of the series. I just don't understand. Well, hold on. Which would be worse watch? The 2 p.m. Saturday game or the game on the night of the NFL draft? <laughs> which one's getting... Well, I'll tell you what. They did not uh, think highly of the matchup here. I mean, they gave the Sixers... I, where I got to find, there is uh, one of the Twitter accounts that the NBA has all of the the matchups in the first round. Like, the whole... The whole breakdown? The whole grid. Okay. I got to see. I, where did... I'm, I can't remember who tweeted it out, but I thought it was the NBA that has them all. I'm wondering who they prioritize. Probably Brooklyn and... The, Boston. The Boston, right? I'm assuming that's got number one priority. Number two priority is Milwaukee, there Miami. Um, let's see. Boston and Brooklyn are playing Sunday at 3.30. That's, that's your main game. Right. That's so that, the top priority. That's the top priority. I'm assuming because Milwaukee, it's Milwaukee-Chicago, correct? The Saturday games, it's Denver-Golden State. That's 8.30. Dallas-Utah is a 1 o'clock game. Ooh, that's rough, though. I mean, they don't care one bit about those people. That's mountain time in Utah. Yeah, so that's a what? That is it's 11 a.m.? It's 11 o'clock in, in the Utah. morning? <laughs> You're playing a playoff game Saturday morning at 11. Thanks for playing. I mean, that's just a kick to the gonads right there. So on Saturday, you've got that game at 1 on ESPN. Right. Minnesota-Memphis at 3.30. They told you Minnesota and Memphis is higher on the priority list than, than Dallas and Utah. You got that's insane. Luka possibly in that game. He Donovan might be Mitchell. Oh, it's Utah, man. Nobody cares about Utah. You got Memphis, John Morant. You got Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns. So that's the three thirty. Just said real quick. You just said that Memphis is more important than Utah. They got John Morant. That's why Utah's got Donovan Mitchell. John Morant is high, way uh, higher up the uh, popularity chart than Donovan Mitchell. Yes. Not to mention Memphis is in the Eastern Time Zone. Good point, though. You made about Luca maybe not be there for Game One, though. Yeah. That hurts. Um, so you got the one o'clock Dallas game on ESPN, mm-hmm. the three thirty Minnesota Memphis game on ESPN, mm-hmm. the six o'clock Philadelphia game on ESPN. So you have a triple header Saturday, and then the na- the late game is Golden State Denver on ABC. So the priority list there, Philadelphia was second, I guess, on the depth chart, which is not bad. And on the Sunday games, you've got. A 1 o'clock Miami versus whoever. Understandable. Brooklyn-Boston is in that 3.30 Sunday window. That's your main game. That's your premier window. That's an ABC. The first one's TNT. The second one's ABC. The third one is Sunday at 6.30, Chicago-Milwaukee on TNT. And then the late game is 9 o'clock on TNT, Phoenix and the Western 8. Okay, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, Phoenix is the number one seed in the West. Give them a West Coast time. Yeah, that part isn't, it's just isn't too crazy. I'm still shocked that Utah's on 11 a.m. in the morning in Utah. I mean, that's just. Yeah, that that is just a uh, slap in your face right there. We're I mean, going to start you at 11 o'clock in the morning. On I mean, that's playoffs. Will Smith on Chris Rock crime right there. <laughs> All right, so that's your schedule of games. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. That's the problem. Philadelphia is playing on the same night of the draft. Now, so is Dallas and Utah, Philadelphia, Toronto. So all the Saturday games, no, that's not true. Not all the Saturday games. Golden State, Denver is playing Saturday, Monday, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. They skip over 
on the 28th. So does Memphis and Minnesota. So they're on the 28th, you're getting one, two, three, four. You got four games on that Thursday. This is ridiculous. I don't know how the NBA would put that schedule together and say, I got a great idea. Thursday night, the draft is on. Let's put four games up against it. That, let's try that. God almighty. So poor. Uh, Aaron Noel, by the way, out of the game. Uh, three and a third, three hits, three runs. They're all earned. He had five strikeouts. His problem today, he gave up a homer. He had three walks and a hit batsman. ERA, 675 on the season. And... This is who he is. I mean, Aaron Nola has become just a back end of the rotation guy. Can I say it? Mike, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. It's fair. He has a 413 ERA in 80 starts since the start of the 2019 season, which is the year after he was third in the Cy Young race. It's a shame. This guy had so much promise. He was a very high draft pick, and he looked like he was going to be the guy. What happened? Hard to answer that question. I can't sit here and tell you, well, this is noticeable. This is what happened. Does he have arm problems? I don't think so. It doesn't look like it. He doesn't look hurt. His mechanics don't look off. Maybe he just... How do you go from the guy who was third in the Cy Young race one year to this? It's got to be psychological, right? His windup isn't any different. As I said, had, his mechanics haven't changed. He hasn't had a major injury. Sports Fast being brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your spring break getaway now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, San Juan, Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. Uh, Dominguez got out of the inning. Just one run there with that bases loaded one out. Nola hit a guy, brought a run home. Dominguez came in and got out of the inning. So it's 3 nothing Mets. Thank God for Dominguez. And you got, uh, yeah, but I hate using Dominguez in the fourth. Sad story, by the way. Good story, sad story. Um, Corey Knable's back. And because he's back, Jeff Singer, who was a great story yesterday, he got DFA today. That's the business of baseball. We need a spot. How do we get Knable back on the roster? You're DFA'd, man. So he got called up to the show after seven years in minor league baseball. He got the call yesterday. Hey, you're going to the majors. He got to sit in a big league dugout for one day and got DFA'd. I mean, it's a great story and a kind of rotten story all into one. But, hey, I'll take it. If I got the call for one day, that's fine. I made it. Keep that uniform. He has that hat forever now. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. I wonder if he's ever covered Jeff Singer. Pitched at Holy Cross. We'll ask him that and more. Ryan Roberts on the draft coming up at 3 today. Don't go away. Sports Bash. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 2.45, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. Mets lead the Phillies 3-0. And uh, if they win today, they'll take the first series of the year as Scherzer strikes out Gregorius. So far, Scherzer has looked like an ace. Aaron Nola has looked like, well, Aaron Nola. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. It's been a while since we've seen a Aaron Nola that we saw in 2018. He shows us flashes, but uh, are we coming to gri- grips with the fact that Aaron Nola is just another guy? 
Well, it's definitely a worry, right? I mean, before the season began, I mean, one of the question marks around the Phillies was the performance of Aaron Nola, and I realize we're only two starts into the season. The first one, you know, against the Oakland A's on opening day, pitched six very good innings and kind of blew up in the seventh. But today, you know, he goes three and a third, leaves with the bases loaded. Sir Anthony kind of bails him out there, and he just seemed to have command problems. And, you know, he hasn't answered the questions that we had about him coming into the season. I'm not going to you know, um, make a judgment two starts in. But, you know, it it could have started better for him. Let's put it like that. Since the start of the 2019 season, he's about a four and a half ERA. Uh, I guess this is just who he is. He's just, you know, when we say Kyle Gibson's a guy with a four ERA and he's 11 and 10, we're like, yeah, that's the guy you need. Nola seems like he's just kind of one of those guys that would be great if he was your fourth or fifth guy at this point. Right, but you're hoping that he's your two or three guy or even your one guy sometimes. So that's the issue, basically. Yeah. And when he first came up, when he was first drafted, the book on him was that he's not an ace, but he was a solid number two guy in the rotation or a solid 2A guy in the rotation. And right now, he's pitching like a back-end guy. I mean, you know, it's early in the season. It's only, what, game six of the season. Uh, but, you know, for early in the season, you got a chance to take the series against the Mets. You win series. Uh, you know, you're gonna you win series, especially at home. You're gonna have a pretty good record. When he goes out three and a third and hits two batters back to back, you know that's just not what you're looking for. So again, I'm not gonna say we're never gonna see the Nola again of 2018. But he began the year with question marks, and he hasn't answered them so far in his first two starts. Yeah, and I think that's fair to say it's only two games. But I mean, now we have almost a you know 80 game sample size of his struggles, and and I feel like we've been waiting for the 2018 Nola. We got a taste of this guy. It's almost like the Wentz guys. Hey, he was going to be the MVP, but he got hurt, so right, just keep right, waiting. Exactly. Nola was third in the Cy Young race. It's like we're waiting for him to be not the ace of the staff, but one of the best pitchers in baseball, and that doesn't seem like it's going to happen again. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd take the compromise version. Maybe he had a career year in 2018, Mike, but he can't be as bad as he was today or last season. So we need a Nola that's somewhere in between the 2018 version and the guy that we got last year and the guy we got today. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, today he was terrible. Couldn't command anything. Uh, three walks. He hit a guy. They're only in the fourth inning. He's already out of this game. So Nola, rough day at the office. Phillies and Mets, they're in the fourth. It's 3 nothing Mets. Last night, the Mets won 2 nothing. I guess I'll ask you, they haven't scored again today. Other than the first game of the year, they scored nine. Are you a little surprised... Uh, at the inconsistency of what this offense has looked like. Yeah, I don't think there'll be as much feast or famine as they've been in the first five or six games. But, Mike, you know, uh, you know, a lot of teams are like this in today's baseball. A lot of people get all over the New York Yankees for, for being the same thing. A lot of teams, are they either score eight runs or they score zero. And you hope the Phillies wouldn't be in that position. You hope they'd be in a position where they can manufacture some runs and, and wouldn't have to rely on just home runs and, and you know, um, you know, you'd hope they would be able to play some small ball and be more consistent offensively, but we haven't seen that so far in the first six games. We've seen feast or famine, and, and obviously, other than the first game, right, they win the first game, they score nine. The second game, they hit three home runs. The third game against Oakland, they don't score. Monday night, they, they put together one inning, which you can always do uh, with this sort of lineup. You never know when it's going to explode and get hot, and last night, they get shut out again, and today, so far, they uh, haven't scored any runs, so... 
uh, Feast or Fabman might be kind. They might just be starting the year in a slump right now. <laughs> now, Mike, you've been down in this market for quite uh, quite some time, by the way, Stott with an RBI there, so uh, he continues to hit. He's got two today. You've been in this market for quite some time, but you also view it from the lens of two uh, separate fan bases, the New York fan base, the Philadelphia fan base, and the people uh, who who follow these teams. What do you make of the whole Boehm thing from the other night, and then last night he gets a standing ovation, he says, I don't want to be here, and now he's a hero. Well, I think he handled it great on that first night, right? He admitted that he said it, and obviously, you know, he kind of faced the situation Even though, straight on. on. The he, fact that he admitted that he said it, that's okay. That, that's easy. He got caught on tape. What is he going to do? But he's being truthful, right? He really doesn't want to be here. He he doesn't like it here. Right. Well, at that moment, he didn't. But I bet you if he got three hits uh, and, and fielded some ground balls, he might love it here, basically, you know. So I think it was uh, I think he was being honest. He was being frustrated. Sometimes you got to remember these guys are 23, 24 years old. They're, you know, he's having a horrible night in front of a stadium full of people. Uh, you know, it, it's understandable, the reactions. I thought he handled it great by talking about it in a calm, measured uh, fashion with the with the press, with the media after the game. You know, he could have easily stayed in the back, not come out. He could have easily said, that's not what I was saying, despite, you know, obviously everybody reading his lips on the video. There's a million ways that could have got, gone wrong instead it went right. And I thought the fans were, tr- were tremendous last night, uh, you know, giving him a standing ovation. You know, you talk about New York, you know, in the, in the Northeast, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston, all the fans really want is for the players to care as much as they do. You know, I think that's the reason why Simmons is unpopular. Ben Simmons, I think it matters more to some Sixers fans what happens in the game than it did to Ben Simmons. And Alec Bohm showed he cared. And it's almost like the emotion of like, oh, I hate this place, showed that he cares about screwing up. And, uh, you know, I think the fans in the Northeast, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, that's all they want. They want you to try hard and they want you to care. And I think Bohm showed that he cared, and he got rewarded last night with a standing ovation. I thought everybody, the fans and Bohm, handled that situation, you know, spectacularly. Uh, Mike McGarry, Press of Atlantic City, Saturday Sixers. James Harden said, feels no pressure. He's accomplished everything. He, You know, he's made enough accomplishments. No pressure. Who's the pressure on? Well, first of all, I'd recommend that James Harden go read his basketball reference page and see his past playoff performances and then tell me that he doesn't have any pressure to perform well in the playoffs. He might want to Google James Harden and scroll through his game-by-game playoff performance in the playoffs because there's some pressure on James Harden. The pressure, without a doubt, is on the Philadelphia 76ers if they don't get out of this first round. And I think they are, Mike. I, I like Embiid. I think Embiid's going to be the best player on the floor. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think Embiid gets them through this series in six or seven games. But if the Sixers do not get out of the first round of the playoffs, there are major, major, major issues in Philadelphia, and it's going to affect the futures of, A, Doc Rivers and James Harden. So I'd suggest James acknowledge, pull Alec Bohm, acknowledge reality. There is some pressure uh, going into this series. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, obviously, uh, if they... Now, here's a question for you. Thursday night is game six on the same night as the NFL draft. What do you do? You got to go game six. I mean, you follow you follow the draft on Twitter. Oh, you know, they're going to... Oh. You know, I got one night a year. I wait for this draft. One night a year. Just give me the draft by itself. What's the NBA doing? They got four games on Thursday night against the draft. Get the, get get the games off Thursday night. 
Got to go games. Games over draft picks. Uh, you got to go games. Follow the draft on Twitter. There you go. You know? I don't like it. Uh, all right, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. We got uh, more on that Sixer series coming up, uh, of course. And, Mike, you're not going to be here on Friday, so you, you think Philadelphia moves on. Yeah, I do. I think they get by. I think I just think Toronto, at the end of the day, I just believe in Embiid. He's had too good a season. He's put together too good a year. I think they don't really have a guy to really guard him and slow him down. And I just think Philadelphia finds a way. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it's six, maybe seven games. But I, I just believe in Embiid and the season he's had. And I think that's going to be good enough to get them past Toronto. I, yes. need, I need five games so that game's not on Thursday because I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I, don't think you're, I, don't, I don't think you're going to be that lucky. <laughs> I mean, you know, Toronto is scary. Toronto is scary. And no Fibo up in, up in Toronto is yep. a factor. But, but I believe, you know, I believe in Embiid the season he's had. And, and I just don't see him letting this team lose in the first round of the playoffs. I see him getting him to the second round. All right. Enjoy your vacation, man. I, you, uh, you deserve it, and I appreciate you. All right. Well, I'll give you a little tip here. 70 degrees in Los Angeles is not the same as 70 degrees in April in New Jersey. It just feels different out here. So it's, there you go. It's very nice here today, actually. Very. It's almost 80 here today. Right, exactly. I go away, and it's nicer there than where I am in Los Angeles. That's my luck. There well, you en- go. Enjoy it out there, all right? All right, we'll see you later. Thanks. Right, there's Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. He is uh, on vacation for the rest of the week, so he will not be back on Friday. He will talk to us Monday after the Sixers game one on Saturday. It is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. It's that time. Caller 7, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller 7, you are entered in for a chance to win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice. It includes airfare, hotel, pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice provided by Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller 7, you are qualified and we will see you. You must be present to win on Thursday, April 28th, round one of the draft and game six of the Sixers at Slack Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83 in Cape May Courthouse. Caller number 7, good luck. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Hey, congratulations, Tyler and Margay. Tyler is qualified for a chance to pick the Eagles road trip. Tyler will see you at Slack Tide Brewing Company in Cape May Courthouse. One lucky listener that day selected at random will win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of their choice. You pick the trip, and we'll pay for the airfare, hotel, the pregame tailgate party, and we'll give you two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. Another chance for you to qualify coming up at 3.55 today on the Sports Best. Tyler in Margate is our latest qualifier. Congratulations to Tyler. Ryan Roberts from RiseandDraft.com. The NFL draft is 15 days away. We got plenty of draft conversation for you here 
on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. 15 days. It's probably a uh, one of those things for someone like you. Like, this day can't get here soon enough. How long? When do you start your, you know, uh, preparation for the draft? I started 2023 a couple days ago, to be honest with you, man. So I'm... I- and start and usually I finish a couple weeks before the draft, and then I start in on the next cycle, about like a, again like we, a week or two before the actual draft day. So, so it, this it one never you're stops, done with. I guess this one you're done with. You, you've had enough yes. of all the the guys in this draft. Put a bow on it, man. Put a bow on it. It's it's an exhausting one. Like I told you the other day, man. It's uh, three times as many prospects as there were in last year's cycle. So there was a lot of guys to try to get to. Unfortunately, you never can get to everyone. Uh, but it's a very deep draft, to say the least. A lot of guys to talk about. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, this time of the year, we start to hear the movers, the shakers, who's moving up, who's moving down, uh, yada, yada. The agents start to talk. But let me ask you, do you think the quarterbacks are starting to get to a spot where they're going to go higher than you thought? Seems like it. It seems like it, Mike. I mean, right now you're looking in the top 10 and Detroit Lions are a little bit of a wild card. You're not really sure what they're going to do. You're you're talking a little bit about a pass rusher. If it's either Aiden Hutchinson or Trevon Walker seems to be now the guy that everyone's kind of coining as the second guy. But they could be in the market for Malik Willis, I think, potentially, or at least in the quarterback conversation. Seattle now being in the top 10 with number nine is certainly a possibility. I think Carolina at six is a real possibility as well, too. So there were mock drafts, I think, earlier in draft season where you didn't even see it. I mean, the first quarterback – that you may have saw come off the board at points was maybe Malik Willis on like pick 20 to this, to the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Now I, I think that it's almost a certainty we get le- at least one in the top 10, maybe two. Right. I mean, there was a time, I guess this time last year when you were preparing for this draft, that Sam Howell was the guy that everybody thought may have been the top quarterback. What has happened to him? Where is he kind of on the pantheon uh, on the list? Yeah, I mean, this time, this time last summer, like you're saying, we were looking forward and you thought Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma and it was going to be Sam Howell from, from North Carolina. I mean, Sam, I think. Rattler's since transferred. Yes. Yeah. He's at South Carolina now. So we'll see. Do you think he'll be a good pro? Do you think he'll make it? I think it was a good. I think it was a good decision for him to transfer to South Carolina, honestly. I think the, the biggest thing with Spencer Rattler is people have always kind of questioned the drive to be the best that he possibly can because the kid has a really strong arm he's a solid athlete like there's enough talent to play in the next level i i actually like the move of him going to south carolina a little bit off the grid you know it wasn't like to a high market team so we'll see i think he definitely has the skill set it's just more about maturation i think for a guy like rattler for how i think that sam Howell is actually more liked in draft circles than maybe the media portrays i wouldn't be surprised if he goes late first early second round somewhere in that ballpark it's obviously the far cry from being the first or second quarterback off the board that we were projecting but i still think that he's i I definitely think he's gonna be a top 50 pick at worst like i I think that early in the second round is a safe spot for sam Howell. so ryan when we talk about all these quarterbacks i mean obviously the the eagles made that trade and people are kind of insinuating well now they have two picks for next year which is a better quarterback class do you put rattler in that quarterback class as a guy that you might be interested in trading for i know it's early but you know we you broached 2023 but i think it's definitely something to consider especially in this market where the eagles traded that pick the next year where the quarterback class is better yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely in the conversation. I think the guys that you think about first and foremost are going to be C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State, Bryce Young out of Alabama. I think there's going to be some risers. Like, I know some people are already high on the kid from Kentucky, Will Levis. He needs to take a massive step forward, obviously. But then you got guys like Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. So there's going to be a ton of guys, I think, 
I think I would say right now, and this will always change, but the first two guys I think that people are most excited about are Stroud and Young. After that, there's definitely going to be at least a couple guys that rise in the first-round conversation. So I think the Eagles are going to be in a spot where they might not have to go all in on one guy. There might be a few different first-round quarterbacks next year. And I think you're, I think the Eagles – I really like the move from Howie Roseman. I'm very critical of him a lot, to be honest, as a general manager. But I, I really did like that trade for the Eagles kind of looking forward. No, um, you take a look at – the top half of the draft are you settled in on a number one guy at this point yeah i mean for me it's not going to be who's the first overall selection i i've always i've been pretty consistent over the past couple months kyle hamilton i think is the best player in this draft regardless of position ultimately he's a safety so that's going to knock him down a little bit he ran four five nine which everyone kind of lost their minds but i have to remind people that like four five nine at six four and an eighth 220 pounds is uh, still pretty good time you know it's it's not it's not slow because i mean guys like jesse bates who are much smaller safeties are be- be- some of the best in the nfl and they only ran in the four mid four five so it's not a far cry you know it's so like, I, I and I, i'm glad you bring that it's like a guy runs four three or four five can you really tell on game day that that two tenths of a second difference when a guy's moving well, especially with Kyle, man, because he has some deceptive speed to a degree, and maybe it's just the long strides. So he's a little bit of a high-step type of caliber, so like maybe that slows him down a little bit. But I put on Twitter, Mike, and I'm still waiting for an actual reply to it of show me where the speed concerns are on film with Kyle Hamilton. I just haven't seen it, man. Like He covers an insane amount of ground. And historically speaking, if you're trying to find a comparison for him, and I know people love comparisons, right? I do too. But you have to look back to guys like Steve Atwater and Kenny Easley and Sean Taylor and just some of the best that we've seen at the position because you just don't see this size profile much, right? So I think that guys like Kayvon Thibodeau are, are fantastic players. I like him a ton. Evan Neal is a really good football player that I think should be drafted near the top. But if you ask me, like, who's the only player that I think is rare type of player, I would say Kyle Hamilton just because you don't see that type of player come around very often. What's with all the Desmond Ritter hype all of a sudden? He's another one. He's another one. He's more well-liked around the league than people think. I pushed back a lot. I think it was Tony Pauline from Pro Football Network that said most teams have a first-round grade on Des Ritter. That's not just not true. Like I, I just haven't heard the same thing. I'll say, I'll say that. So I know everyone has different sources, but I find it very hard to believe. I think the thing is, man, that people are trying to convince themselves of a guy that looks the part right he's six three plus he's 211 pounds even though that's a little skinny but he ran four five one or four five two really good athlete good arm like he kind of checks those boxes but on film i mean he's a late day two type of player early day three like there's just i went to notre game last notre dame game last year where like i mean he's just airmailing just simple five yard outs like it's it's, he's just not there from an accuracy perspective so i think he's going to be a lock to go in the first rounds like we kind of talked about at the beginning, I, I think that Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett, not necessarily in that order. Like, there are locks, and I think guys like Sam Howell could kind of figure into the late first-round conversation as well. I'll uh, talk with Ryan Roberts, the uh, Twitter handle, at Rise and Draft. And uh, you'll be hosting a Rise and Draft special uh, tonight on the BFA Sports uh, YouTube channel. You can uh, get on there, what time, 7 o'clock? Yep, 7 o'clock will be on there. 7 o'clock, you can uh, watch the show live. 
and uh, we'll be basically rifting more draft from top to bottom. They'll do it the next three Wednesday nights over there on the BFA Sports YouTube channel. This is going to be a uh, very informative draft process. You can ask Eagles questions, Giants, Cowboys, anything. I mean, it's just a carte blanche of the draft. We're getting close now, and uh, a lot of these teams. What do you think Washington? I I saw a mock draft with them taking a quarterback at 11. Yeah, I I don't see that one. I I really don't. I I think that they're okay with Carson Wentz for a year. You know, like, let's see if Carson Wentz can be the guy. I mean, watching him so much for the Eagles, man, it's like there's moments where he just keeps pulling you back in. You're like, that kid is insanely talented. And then he has the moments where just kind of you want to pull your hair out. So the mental toughness has always been something that's been kind of a talking point with Carson Wentz. Can he kind of, you know, be durable through the adversity? That's just kind of the talking point from a talent perspective. Clearly has the traits to, to do very well. So I, I think that the Washington Washington Commanders, I'm just calling the Washington football team. I actually like football team better than Commanders, to be honest, oh, but too. that's a different conversation. Uh, so I think that they'll be settled with him uh, early on in the, in the draft. So I don't necessarily see them going that route. I would see more, like, Maybe best corner available if Kyle Hamilton drops to 11. I think that's kind of a no-brainer pick. Another wide receiver to go with Terry McLaurin. I don't necessarily see quarterback. They might draft someone late day two, day three, just to come in and you know kind of be a, a, a competitor in the, in the room. But I, I just don't see a quarterback at 11. So they let Steve Nelson walk today. That's not the surprise. But is there a is this a clear indication in your mind that corner is a high priority on Thursday, April 28th? Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. I mean, it, it's it, it's a position too where it's just the evolution, right? Like if you don't have two good corners, you're in a lot of trouble. But I mean, you even need three corners sometimes in, in how the game's kind of formatted now. So I think any team that needs a corner, honestly, it's it's a good year to need one. You know, we everyone wants to talk about Sauce Gardner, and I understand it. Really good football player out of Cincinnati, Derek Stingley, if he's able to stay healthy out of LSU, Andrew Booth out of Clemson. Go dip it into like the second tier of guys like Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon out of Washington. There's a lot of talent in this class. So I think any team that definitely doesn't have a number two quarterback, it should be in the market this year. And I think that the game is just continuously devolved as far as how much of a need that position is just from a depth perspective. Right. And it would seem, I mean, there's some interest, it seems, in Tyron Matthew that the Eagles are setting themselves up to go corner in the draft and go veteran safety. Um, mm-hmm. but is there a safety class? Is this safety class? Cause they do have an extra third round pick. Yeah. No, it, it's a tremendous safety class. It really is. Secondary in general is very good this year. Safeties. I mean, everybody wants to talk about Kyle Hamilton, but you, you've seen guys kind of blow up in from the media perspective over the draft prospects, uh, like Lewis Seen from Georgia, Daxton Hill from Michigan's a really in, in interesting kind of nickel safety hybrid. He played a lot in the slot last year for Michigan, but there's really talented players like Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State, who I thought really put it together this year. He could be somewhere in the, in the second or third round conversation. Nick Cross, I think, is a guy that Eagles fans should have on their radar, especially if he makes it to somewhere in the, in the third round, maybe even in the second, if, if that's, you know, kind of a conversation they want to have, because he's a kid that, at six foot, 210 pounds, track star at Maryland, 4-3-4, 40-yard dash. He is a guy that I think is a, one of the few t- true free safety types in this class, and he he is a guy that I think you can get second and third round. But even if you don't get a guy like that, I mean, there, there's just a plethora of safety talent this year class. Jalen Petrie out of Baylor, Kirby Joseph out of Illinois, JT Woods out of Baylor is an interesting athlete. You know, even moving down to day three, Dane Belton from Iowa is really 
interesting player who's similarly to a Daxon Hill played in the slot a lot for Iowa. So this is a good year to need a safety as All well. Right. So wide receiver is a big topic of conversation. Now they only have two picks as opposed to three. That make it more likely, less likely that they go wide out with one less first round pick. And I guess I say for in the first round because I do want to ask a follow up about later on. Yeah, I, I think it's less likely. I would still entertain it depending on who's on the board, but I really think that the Eagles are going to be somewhere defensive line with one of those picks. So you can convince me it's one of the Georgia defensive tackles, or if they want to tr- take one a defensive end to kind of you know keep building a younger edge group because you know again Derek Barnett on a two-year deal and Brandon Graham coming back from a, a torn Achilles that doesn't give you much you know much room for hope so building off a guy like Josh Sweat who had some flashes and getting a young edge rusher I think is is definitely in the cards and honestly they could go defensive tackle and defensive end in the first round and I wouldn't be super shocked but ultimately I think they're going to go defensive lineman in some form of cornerback and let wide receiver be a little bit of a secondary need even though I think it's a bigger need than you know just calling it a secondary need because I mean Devonta Smith, I thought, had a really nice rookie season. Quez Watkins has flashes of nice stuff. But I think in an ideal world, Quez Watkins is a third receiver and just kind of uses his speed as like a departmentalized weapon. So I definitely think the Eagles need to get bigger at the wide receiver position. They need definitely need to get at least a, a legit number two. So I think they'll be in the market at some point in the draft. I just I think that they just value building through the trenches historically through throughout your Rose. OK, tenure. so if they don't go wide out in the first round. Give a couple names for the listeners to keep an eye on for two and round three. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're looking at round two, I think that there's a lot of interesting players, to be honest with you, because I think everyone assumes that there's going to be this massive run on wide receivers. You're going to start to see a bunch of guys going off the board or late in the first round. But I think there's some guys that could fall a little bit, and maybe they're even trade-up candidates at that point. But Jahan Dotson's a kid from Penn State who I kind of like a ton, being able to work a little bit in the slot, and he's kind of like an instant separator type Christian Watson, if he's able to, if he's so, if he's there with the second round pick out of North Dakota State, he's more of your height weight speed guy, six four two ten, ran four three six at the combine. Maybe a Sky Moore, kind of more similar to a Jahan Dotson, but can also play a little more inside out than Dotson can in a pinch. Maybe George Pickens is dealing, obviously, with the injury this past year, so maybe he falls somewhere. But I think the guy that you should really hone in on in either the second or the third round, honestly, I would be fine with him in either spot. John Mechie out of Alabama, I think, is a really solid football player who's getting very under undervalued in this class because he obviously got hurt later in the season. He wasn't able to participate at the combine. He was only a, he came out as a junior, so he wasn't eligible for any of the All Star games, and he wouldn't be have been able to participate in those either way. But I think he's going to present a tremendous value because before he got hurt, I think he was a slam dunk top fifty type of player. But now that he's hurt, you might be able to get him somewhere in the third round if you're lucky. Yeah, uh, he's a, he tore his ACL in the Georgia. Uh, SEC championship game, so it'll be That's interesting right. to see when he would be available because that was what three or four weeks before Williams tore his ACL. Yeah, I, I think they said, and don't quote me on this one, one hundred percent, but I thought they said that he would be available. He would be back to full in the preseason, so I okay. think there's a chance that you would get him to the start of the season for whatever team picks John Mechie. Eighty-one, is he there? He could be. He could be because, like I said, he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. It, the film is good. It's very rock solid all the way around. He's not a he's not a dynamic receiver in any way, but he's just a very solid player all the way around. Like I'm you can just depend on him. Yeah, yeah I like he's, yeah, he's, I like I like you mentioned Pickens. I, I like him too a lot. I mean, he's another ACL problem, right? 
Yeah, yeah. He he. Fortunately for him, he, though he did come back later uh, for last couple games of the season. Also, obviously, had a really nice combine running four four seven for the style that he plays. So he's kind of that big play outside th- outside threat. I, I think the best case scenario is maybe a little bit of a burstier Alshon Jeffrey, like the best of what Alshon was type type of conversation. So he's definitely a player. If he's there in the second round, I would definitely pull the trigger on. Uh, I mean, Alshon in the early stages was a pretty darn good player. Um, sure was, and uh, I think you you certainly love to get a guy like that. In round number two, Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com, uh, at riseanddraft is the uh, Twitter handle. You can follow him there. Uh, NFL Draft Special tonight on the BFA Sports YouTube platform. You can check that out. Starts at 7 o'clock, and uh, Ryan will be taking your questions. They'll be just talking draft. They'll do this for the next three weeks leading up to the draft every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And then the Monday following the draft, that will be a show at Monday night. So this is going to be fun uh, listening to you guys just talk draft for about uh, an hour or so. As long as the questions keep rolling in or you guys have thoughts, uh, I'll certainly be watching. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Mike. It'll be a lot of fun. We got some mock draft action working tonight. I already got some mailbag questions. Like you said, we'll be very interactive. Any questions that people want to throw in. So we're very excited about it as well. All right. It's 7 o'clock. Uh, BFA Sports YouTube channel is where you can watch that show live. Ryan Roberts uh, is going to be your host, and you can check that out tonight at 7. Ryan, appreciate it, man. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you, sir. All right. We knocked out a bunch there, but he'll be talking draft all night long, and you can check that out there on the YouTube channel, BFA Sports YouTube channel, hosting Ryan Roberts' Rise in Draft special, and that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you. The Phillies are in action today. They are trailing the Mets 4-1. to Bryson Stott has the lone RBI for the Phillies. Nola's out of the game. Scherzer... It's not been his best today. Bunch of strikeouts, some walks. Phillies just not have been able to get uh, some key hits. They had bases loaded with one out in the first. They had first and third with one out. Couldn't get anything going. Uh, so we'll keep you up to date on that as well. We got another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip coming up today at 355. So listen for your chance to qualify. Brought to you by today. East Coast Roofing Siding Windows serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up. Online at eastcoastroofing.com. When we come back, I want to get into Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock draft. His newest one is out today. And both players that he has going to the Eagles, I can't see happening. I'll tell you why. Coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Three twenty-six Sports Bash. I love a good mock draft. Some people get irritated by the mock draft, but I can read them for days. I know you're not a big mock drafter there, uh, Josh Henning. I'm not an anti-mock drafter. I'm just an anti-mock drafter that makes sense. Okay, well, I don't put stock in it that it's like I'm, this is what's going to happen. To me, it's more of what you're hearing, where you think these guys could go around. So you get a better indication if you're, the guy that you like is going to be in the ballpark, I guess you could say. Right. And I think part of the problem is, is we're going to discuss with Noah Kuyper mock. It seems like in recent mock drafts, 
I just don't see how their information matches what we know in reality. Um, well, let's take a look at this one, and uh, we can go through the mock draft, have a little fun with it. Number one, I, I, you know, I haven't paid as much attention to the top of the draft because the Eagles have so many things going on in the middle. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, number one, uh, going to Jacksonville. If I'm Jacksonville, I think I'm trying to get out of that spot, but I haven't heard a lot of that. Well, there there was talk a month ago yeah. that Jacksonville was trying to try out that pick. Now, we know that the at the NFL owners' meetings and at the draft combine, a lot of conversations, that's where they start. You know, that's what Kaplan and Mosher said on Football at Four, that the Eagles and Saints were talking last month, and that's how the deal got done for that pick. So maybe Jacksonville has offers on the table, but maybe they're hanging on a little bit longer, trying to maybe sweeten the pie on I, that deal. I just look at it as the number one player in the draft is a defensive end. What defensive end has changed the team so royally that it's worth picking number one? The only guy who's close is Miles Garrett. He's the only guy in maybe the neighborhood of being an impact guy at that high. Like, right, but you know, Miles Garrett hasn't won a playoff game. They've been to yeah, the playoffs. Yes. The Browns won a playoff game a couple years oh, ago. Oh, they did. They beat, uh, what, Pittsburgh two years ago yeah. or something like that. But my point That's is one game. they haven't had a lot of success. They didn't make the playoffs last year. They haven't been a successful or a routine. He hasn't changed the complexion of that team enough to make it worthy of drafting number one. If I got Miles Garrett and I got him at number seven, I'm probably ecstatic. Correct. But I take him at number one, he's not changing my franchise. Is Aiden Hutchinson? Look at the Bosa kids. The one Bosa hasn't been to the playoffs. Joey, yes. In San Diego. And Nick, very good defense in San Francisco. Now, it's not his fault they've come up short. They've both been hurt a lot, too. Correct. But J.J. Watt, he hasn't won anything. So taking a defensive end number one overall, to me... I don't think that's he feels a little uh, fool's gold. I don't think my ROI is is enough. <laughs> All right. Do you fair. agree? That's fair. I just think that my problem. I had Reggie White for God's sakes in Philadelphia. He couldn't win a playoff game. My problem with Hutchinson is less about his position than it is about him. I think he is going to be a very underwhelming. Okay, I can player. agree with what you're saying there, but I'm just going up. Even if he's the greatest defensive end of all time, I don't think justifiable at taking at number one. I think that's fair. You know, typically the guys who have the biggest impact who were not quarterbacks are guys like offensive tackles, for example. You told me Aaron Donald went number one overall. Now he's changing the game for me. And he didn't go number one overall. Well, he went what, in the mid-20s. I mean, yeah. but my point is it's hard to find a defensive end that is so game-changing Correct. that it's worthy of drafting number one overall. That's now, very fair. Number two, Detroit, Sauce Gardner. This is as high as I've seen him in any mock draft. Yeah, and I think the problem is is that what I've what they were talking about a couple of podcasts I was listening to was that he has this massive range that he could go anywhere from basically two to twelve, depending on what team you talk to and who's you know evaluating what. The problem with Gardner is because who's at number two? It's what the Lions, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the Lions have been discussed about trading that pick as well. So there's a possibility that by the time we hit draft night that both Jacksonville and Detroit don't have their picks anyway. So whoever's trading up, maybe maybe part of the information that Kuiper has is that these teams are picking, but teams are looking to trade up maybe for these guys. I don't know. He does have trades in his mock draft. Sure. But I'm just saying, like, I'm just talking like thinking out loud. Like, you know, is there a possibility that Detroit picks Gardner and then trades him? I don't know. That's as high as I've seen Gardner. This is as high as I've seen pick three, Houston, who, by the way, signed Steven Nelson today. So the Eagles desperately need a corner. We know they weren't bringing back Nelson, Correct. but now he's off the board. You can't even try to bring him back. They're going Trayvon Walker, defensive end, Georgia. It's another defensive end. Houston, 
Now, they have J.J. Watt um, in the past. He's in uh, Arizona now. But they had J.J. Watt there and couldn't do much with the defensive end. To me, I'm in a spot where picking a defensive end back to Aiden Hutchinson, too high. You think part of this might also be who these coaches are? You look at, you know... Well, Lovey Smith Smith said today, we had to get a corner to do what we wanted to do on defense. That's why they went and got Steven Nelson. Right, so maybe is it something where you're looking at... I think he's going to be disappointed, by the way. What's that? I think he's going to be disappointed with Steven Nelson, by the way. But I agree with that. But I'm just saying that there's part of me that wonders. I look at Houston, and I'm like, are they drafting the best available player? Or are they drafting the guy that the, the coach wants? Um, next pick, defensive end. Kayvon uh, Thibodeau, Jets. I love Thibodeau, and Thibodeau makes sense for what Joe Douglas wants. Joe Douglas is in New York. And he wants to build a team through the trenches. That's three out of the first four picks being defensive ends. I, th- You know me. I love Thibodeau. I think Thibodeau is better going to be better than Hutchinson. I think Thibodeau is going to be a rock star at the next level. The only problem with Thibodeau is there's a, there's a group of people who think that maybe he doesn't love football as much as he should. And go back to, even if he's special. Does he change the franchise so much that it's worth? Now, I know you would say, you got to take someone there. Okay, on the Jets, I have so many problems. Taking a defensive end, to me, is a luxury type of pick. Same with Houston. You're horrible. Jacksonville, you're horrible. You're right. taking a luxury pick at a spot that you're that is... You have too many holes to fill. That's just me. To me, defensive end, yes, getting to the quarterback is big. Edge rushers are big. Defensive ends are big. But give me a defensive end that was drafted and changed the complexion. I'm Off the top of my head, I can't think of somebody that I'm like, that guy got drafted and that team's fortunes changed. There's only one guy in the last 40 years I could name, and that's Lawrence Taylor. He's the only guy who's ever... Well, he wasn't ever... even a defensive end. I mean, he that a... position doesn't even exist really anymore. 3-4 outside linebacker. But he was still a pass rusher for the most part. Sure, but not a hand-in-the-dirt kind of guy like Hutchinson, True. Walker, definitely. Good point. And Thibodeau, I would imagine, would also be that kind of guy. These guys, Thibodeau, Walker, and Hutchinson, none of those three... I mean, Hutchinson maybe could be a stand-up outside linebacker. But Probably none of not. those three are are your um, like Hassan Reddick, who is kind of a hybrid. Yeah, the only the, the, of the three guys you just mentioned, Hutchinson, Walker, and Thibodeau. Thibodeau is probably the best athlete, but I've almost never seen him stand up as a pass rusher. No, and Walker certainly not. No, Walker is an inside outside D lineman. Correct. He he's almost more of a tackle than he is an end. Yeah, he's a guy who's going to fit in wherever you want. Walker of the three guys is probably the most, your scheme doesn't matter. He can fit. Yeah, so like you mentioned Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor was a 3-4 outside linebacker. That position just simply doesn't exist anymore. Mm. You, these teams play two linebackers. Right, well he would be, he would actually be more like Hassan Reddick in today's game than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he would be the guy who could either put his hand in the dirt or stand up on the outside. And Lawrence Taylor such a, such a freak athlete. You could argue that Lawrence Taylor, they might have done more with him in today's game because of the way defenses are run now. All right, next up would be the Giants at number five. They go offensive tackle, uh, Ikem Ikwanu, who I think the Giants, they need an offensive lineman. They to do. me, this, this pick makes sense. 
My only problem with Akime Iwanu is he's a guy who got whipped a couple times versus high-level competition. Is he a guy who a team says, it's like, look, we're not going to focus on his losses. We're going to focus on his wins and understand that he's going to beat 90% of the guys he faces. Or do you look at his some of the games he was beaten badly and say this is a sign of well, things to come? Either him or Neal, uh, Evan Neal, if you like to go that direction. Put it this way. The Giants, if they get one of these tackles, then you have Andrew Thomas, who they drafted number four a couple of years ago. Right. And then a tackle that you draft five this year. And you hope that Thomas... Uh, he was abysmal his rookie season. I thought he was better last year. He's not elite by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but you need a tackle here. I think the Giants going with a tackle makes a lot of sense. He then has Willis going six to the, pa- to, to the Panthers. And I just, I can't sign off on any of these quarterbacks going that high. But there, there's a lot of talk that the Panthers are enamored with Willis. I've heard that numerous times. I don't know if they're enamored with him because of his skill set or because they're desperate for a quarterback. Because there's a lot of speculation. Both. Was, well, there's speculation. I was reading an article in The Athletic that apparently the owner, Dave Tepper, when he told Matt Rule, you've got six, seven years, he was apparently being literal. That he was. I like, don't have a problem with that, though. That team hasn't been disastrously coached. you got to set a culture somehow. You can't change your culture every two or years because your team doesn't win a lot of games. You bring a new coach in. Why? Because the team before sucked. Right. You don't think the team's going to, like... All of a sudden, go from some five and eleven team to right. winning fifteen games. Like, <laughs> right. yeah, sometimes it happens. Injuries occur. This team has had some injury issues too. McCaffrey Absolutely. has been hurt constantly. But until you get the quarterback situation, if you like the culture you have but can't find the quarterback, don't keep changing the culture to find a quarterback. Find a quarterback if you like the culture. I think that Willis has the most potential of all these quarterbacks. The question is. Is he going to the right situation to maximize his ability? Not a lot of weapons down there. I mean, remember they're also a new offensive coordinator. Remember they got rid of Joe Brady mm-hmm. after last year. So, you know, is the new OC down there, or is the culture going to elevate Willis, a guy who was a top tier recruit in the SEC? He left the SEC to go with Hugh Freeze to Liberty, played in one of those spread them out, gun it offenses. How does that translate? Uh, next up is number seven. That is the New York Giants again. And this pick here is kind of interesting because you saw this guy going to the Eagles a lot in mock drafts. He is now flying up the boards. Correct. Jermaine Johnson, the second defensive end out of Florida State. And I got to say, I think this is high for him. It's a position of need for the Giants. You would say, you just got done saying defensive end. If you heard what I said before, if I got Miles Garrett at number seven, I'm probably a lot happier than if I got Miles Garrett at number one. That's not saying Miles Garrett stinks, but he's not changing the complexion of my organization. Now the Giants have two picks. At number seven's when I feel like I can start taking a guy that, hey, might change my defense. Not changing my franchise, but might help my defense all of a sudden gain some credibility. I love Jermaine Johnson. I think he has the chance to be better than Hutchinson in the NFL because I think he has something that Hutchinson didn't show in college. Hutchinson played across from Majabo. So he had a guy on the other side who forced teams not to be able to double and triple team him all the time. Johnson didn't have that luxury. And we saw Johnson dominate games when he had basically mediocre talent next to him on the line. I think that's a big deal. All right, next up is number eight, and that is Atlanta. And Atlanta, they've got 
Garrett Wilson, first wide receiver off the board. I got two questions here. One, is Garrett Wilson the first receiver you'd be taking? Wow. I I would I would begrudgingly say yes. I feel like this wide receiver class is deeper than it is top heavy. So to me, the the margin of difference between Wilson, Olave, uh, Drake London, and Traylon Burks, it's not a massive gap. To me, if I'm an NFL team, and I, honestly, I would even consider maybe taking Jamison Williams ahead of any of those guys. You, say, because- you didn't mention him, but you just brought him into the mix. I like Wilson, I think, the most out of all the guys. Here's my thing. I think Atlanta's big problem is on the offensive line, and... If Evan Neal's still there, I got to consider going Evan Neal ahead of taking a wide receiver. Why? Well, I went Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and won Bupkis. So learn from my past mistakes. Why did I win Bupkis? Because my line stunk. Mm-hmm. I had Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley, and we couldn't do anything because my offensive line has been a disaster. Sure. So I go, if I'm, that's my second question is, I don't take Wilson in that spot. I go with an offensive lineman in that spot. So you go Evan Neal. Then. I would take Evan Neal in that spot. I think Evan Neal would make a lot of sense. The problem is, is that honestly, I don't know what Atlanta's doing. I really don't, I don't understand. I mean, they brought in Marcus Mariota to be a compete with Josh who you, Rosen. Who would you play, Marcus Mariota, or would you rather have um, a draft a guy? Nah, Cleveland. Oh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Oh, give me Mayfield over any of the guys in Atlanta. Right, exactly. Well, this happened. Uh, they signed Mariota. I was away in Florida, and we were having this conversation. I said, "You went with Mariota over Baker Mayfield." Well, so the theory was was that they claim Atlanta. I guess for that, the money, though, I'd rather pay Mariota. Well, they apparently Arthur Smith likes what Mariota brings to the table. Great. Hey, look, Mariota was a winner. He won games in Tennessee, but he didn't do it because of him. Correct. Uh, number nine, Seattle. This pick makes a lot of sense. This is one they got in the trade for Russell Wilson. Evan Neal, they've had problems at offensive line for eternities, it seems like. And Evan Neal would be the safest pick here and probably the smart pick for Seattle. This and is, if, Quite frankly, if they get him at number nine, they're probably doing backflips. This is the smartest, safest pick that we've heard so far. Well, that and uh, the Giants at five taking a tackle. Yeah, but I would have taken Neil there instead. So I'm just talking you, about position wise. I'm talking about position and player yeah. because I think Neil is a plug and play. I like what he brings to the table. He's got he's got just enough nasty combined with physical ability. Number ten, the Jets are on the board. This is Mel Kuyper's mock draft over at ESPN.com. He's got Drake London, the wide receiver from USC. Now. Here's the thing. I took a defensive player with that first pick. What were they, number four, the Jets? Yes. All right. I went with, in this draft, he went with Thibodeau. Right. I would, in this spot, I would almost find another defensive player. Just keep stacking them up. And make this, if you're going to tell me at number four I'm going Thibodeau, I want to add more on that defensive side of the ball. (laughs) Hamilton, Stingley. One of those corners, but you and know just why make that defense it. something special. Well, you got to give the, the the Wilson kids something. They got exactly. nothing. And there's a lot of people who feel like Drake London is one of the best route runners in this draft. He's not an explosive athlete. He's not a big time. He's he's got a little like a Marcus Colston in him kind of thing. Um. All right, that is the top ten. 
We'll come back and look at the next group of picks coming up here on the Sports Bash Live. We're looking at Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock draft. We got football at four with Mosher at four. Hudrick on the Sixers at the four o'clock hour as well. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Jeff Kerr, his one and only mock draft is posted as well. We'll go through his with him at 5.30 tonight. Phillies in big trouble. They're down 8-1 now. The bullpen has completely fallen apart. Pete Alonzo with a three-run homer. 8-1 Mets over the Phillies. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3. 15-18. Who did Mel Kuyper have for the Eagles? Well, if you just can't wait, you can go to our website, 973ESPN.com, to find out the answers. If not, I'll tell you on the other side, and I can tell you this. I don't like either pick. I'll tell you why. Coming up. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. 349 going through Bell Kuyper's mock draft. Check it out over at 973ESPN.com. Who will the Eagles take at 15 and 18? He has his thoughts. One of them I really don't like. The other one I like, I just don't see it happening. We'll get into that right now. All right, we're at pick number 11, Washington Commanders. Number 11, Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton. It's been a lot of talk about him dropping. Uh, if he's at number 11, I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles try to get a trade-up at this situation. I would be surprised if Washington takes a safety also because considering all the things they need and their propensity to go offense over defense in the draft, or at least D-line over a secondary? Well, I think they're done with the D-line. I think they've, they've maximized their picks on the defensive front. No, you're right. I just I could see them maybe going offensive line or wide receiver or quarterback here. But, hey, if they go safety, I'll give them credit. Yeah, I mean, I, and look, if Hamilton's still around, now I don't know that Washington's going to trade with Philadelphia, but it's possible. Uh, that or Dallas trade with Philadelphia. Could it be this way. If the Jets are there at 10 and Hamilton's on the board, does Howie Roseman call up? Joe Douglas and say, hey, what do we got to do here? You're not taking Kyle Hamilton. I think it's more likely he calls the Jets than he calls Washington. Me too. I agree. So Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety. Minnesota, number 12, Derek Stingley Jr. This would be a very smart pick. Very Minnesota pick. Very Minnesota pick. Now, remember, Zimmer's not there anymore, so they got a new defense. So I am curious to find out, does... Does Stingley fit in with the new defensive ideas or not? Well, their defense has been abysmal. They were a very good defensive team under Zimmer in like 17 and 18. They started to fall. One of the reasons why Minnesota's not nearly as good is their defense started to fall apart. That's true. Up next is Houston again at number 13. They go offensive line Charles Cross from Mississippi State. I mean, safe pick Houston. Problems, man. They have so many problems. Cross is a very good offensive lineman. I think it's a very smart pick if they went this way. 14, Trent McDuffie, Baltimore. This is a very Baltimore pick. I mean, this has Baltimore Ravens' Eric DaCosta written all over it. They just brought Calais Campbell back as well. So they're trying to add to that defense, which is a little bit disappointing last year. Saw McDuffie, he's been going to a lot of uh, Eagle mock drafts, but here he goes a pick before at number 15. This is the pick that the Eagles got thanks to the Miami Dolphins. And in this spot, Chris Olave, wide receiver, Ohio State. I don't see it. I just don't. I, I don't un- I don't see it because, one, they worked out trailing Burks personally multiple times, it looks like. And second of all, I think that Olave is a guy who's a very talented player, but I think he's 
similar to a lot of guys earlier I have. Yeah, Olave to me of the wide receivers now didn't have a big year numbers wise. If you went and looked at the back of the football card, you would say hmm, under a thousand yards. I mean, hey, well he doesn't have these explosive numbers. Four three forty. I find like Olave is a guy that is. I don't want to say similar to like Watkins and Rager, but, he is. but he's more of that guy. He's, he's a got that body type. Good route runner, skillset. though. You know, he's 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 a he's a better route runner than Watkins. Yeah, he's a speed guy, but can run all the routes as opposed to a speed guy who can only do a, a one thing. Sure, but I wouldn't be thrilled if they took Alave at fifteen. Let's say that number sixteen, Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa offensive tackle. That's the Saints. They of course traded into that spot. They, they need, need offensive, offensive line, line help. We jinxed on that one. <laughs> 17, the Chargers taking Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of Georgia. That would be a great spot for him to go to that team. It would be a great spot for him, especially considering the fact that he's a guy who, if you're listening to Inside the Bird podcast today, Greg Cosell does not think that Davis is a three-down lineman. Not a pass rusher? Not, he doesn't think he's a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 6'6", 340, he's kind of more of that, you know, hole filler guy that yep. stuffs the run, you know, that type of player. Number 18, Philadelphia. This is the pick they got from the Saints in that trade two weeks ago, and he's got them taking N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia. Now, I said I don't agree with either of them because I don't see either guy being picked, but he also has Dean going ahead of Lloyd. That's very interesting. Because Lloyd has not been taken off the board in this mock draft yet. I, I would love to know what Kuyper's, how he differentiates those two. I haven't heard him mention on the podcast yet, so maybe that's the next pod when they do him. Now, he says he pod. has Lloyd ahead of Dean in the rankings, but that he thinks that his leadership and his intangibles might be the reason why Philly might value him more. All right, that's, in, that's an intriguing analysis. Now, this is 19, the Saints, Jamison Williams, wide receiver, at 19, and they need a receiver. Michael Thomas, they've had all sorts of problems since he's been hurt. Right. Um, Williams came off the ACL, should be possibly ready by the beginning of the season. And then with pick number 20, the Steelers taking Kenny Pickett. I can see it. I mean, he's already in Pittsburgh. They have a good set of eyes on him already. Um, I mean, if you're planning to let him compete for the job, I'm comfortable with it. If you're not having him compete for the job, then... I'm out. All right. Uh, that's your top 20, Mel Kuyper's mock draft. He does two rounds here, so he does go into the second round with a player for each team as well. Uh, so we maybe can uh, throw that around in the 5 o'clock hour. We might bring this back up. Uh, coming up, football at 4. we got the headlines. Paul Hudrick on the Sixers. But first. We need another qualifier. Are you out there? Caller 7, 609-573-3776. Lucky caller number seven, you're qualified to win a trip for two to the Eagles road game of your choice. All you need to do is call 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. And if you're caller number seven, you're qualified for a chance to pick your trip, an Eagles road game of your choice, airfare, hotel, the pregame tailgate party, and two tickets for two to the Eagles road game of your choice. It's all brought to you by Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip now at phillysportstrips.com and our friends at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. It's a beach day. How about getting a sandwich at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop? 
Caller number seven, we'll see you live at Slack Tide Brewing Company on Thursday, April 28th. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. My personality is I want to win badly. I want to win more Lombardis for Philadelphia and our fans. we got the greatest fans around, and I will do everything possible. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Key. Studios. This is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Prop Swap, America's sports betting marketplace. Sell your sports bets, take your profit, find out how. Go to PropSwap.com. Download the Prop Swap app today. Hey, Joe in Cape May Courthouse. Congratulations, Joe. What do you know? You are qualified for a chance to pick your trip. At our Eagles draft party show coming up on April 28th, which is a Thursday, same day as game six of the Sixers. Terrible uh, scheduling there by the NBA. But, Joe, you have a chance to win a Eagles road trip this year. You pick the game, will pay for the airfare hotel, the pregame tailgate party, and give the winner two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. Joe, you have a chance to be that winner. We have another chance coming up. At 4.55 today, listen for your chance to win. Jeff Mosher is here from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast. Jeff Mosher, how are you, friend? I'm great. How are you, Mike? Doing well. Uh, we saw today, we'll start off with some Eagles news as uh, Steven Nelson has signed away. Uh, now two-thirds of their starting secondary is gone. Nelson signed a two-year, $10 million deal and he is in Houston. We touched on this the other day. They weren't going to bring him back, but really now accentuate. Does it kind of fire off a plan in your mind about, all right, they, they let Nelson walk, that cornerback becomes even more of a clear pick? Yeah, I mean, it's going to have to be. I really don't like um, when you leave yourself in a situation where you have to draft somebody early. I mean, the Eagles should anyway because of years of neglect at that position and they're they're likely to but you never know you could draft a guy and and he gets you know freak accident and gets hurt can't can't even make it to OTAs you never know so you want to have somebody on your team that can be that corner opposite Darius Slay who can play and has proven he can play a little bit in the league forget you know having a superstar you're just looking for a placeholder somebody who can play Steven Nelson was that last year I think the Texans made a make a, a lot of sense because I imagine that Lovey Smith, who has always played a Tampa two style defense, will continue to play that in Houston as a head coach there, and that's gonna give Steven Nelson a lot of protection up top. You know, we talked about the the issues that he had with the Eagles defense last year. They had to come out of the two deep, they had to play more man defense, they had to play one safety deep, and that one safety wound up playing very deep to protect Nelson and they didn't blitz as much also. So, but they're in the same situation where there are cornerbacks out there. You know, there's Steph Gilmore, there is Joe Hayden, there's Trey Waynes. I mean, you can go look at Bryce Callahan. There's, there's that, there's a caliber of corner out there that's probably equivalent to what you got from Steven Nelson. And eventually they'll probably have to bring one in. But I just don't like going into the draft without having that guy just because it makes it feel like you have to force yourself to take it. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up is last year they were able to not draft. They took McPherson in the fourth round and we're like, all right, they didn't take a corner until round four. They got to mm-hmm. do something. They finally went with Nelson. And I guess if they don't take a receiver in the first two or three rounds, there are some guys that you can 
you know, maybe pick up the phone and call still then. Yeah, and same thing with pass rush. Well, more so receiver. That's another position where you'll find bodies who can play out on the open market. How much of an impact they'll make is, is a big question mark, but at least somebody who can, you know, fill a role while you're trying to groom someone else. But, you know, now that I, I kind of talk myself into it, maybe this is the Eagles kind of way of forcing themselves to take a player at a position that they haven't taken in a long time. You know, the, maybe this is the, the signal that they sent. To, it's almost like when you know you're on vices. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you safeguard against them and you say, hey, if I don't draft or if I don't sign a cornerback right now, I'm definitely drafting one in the first or second round where ordinarily if I did sign one, maybe I'd be tempted to say I can get by one more year without it, you know, for the 20th straight year or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I know we, we discussed before that they don't really they have a plethora of corners on the roster, none of which excite anybody. No. And I know that Nick Sirianni at the combine, you know, tried to do his best to say, hey, we've got, you know, a lot of candidates here. And he went through not only McPherson, but also the Tay Gowans of the world, the Mac McCain's. Who else did that? Carrie Vincent. All those. Yeah. All those darts that they threw and small little deals that they made to bring in, you know, corners who you hope one hits. But you you can't can't guarantee that. After one year, what do they think of McPherson? It's a good question. I know that they like his toughness. I know they like that he can tackle a little bit. But, you know, when you're talking about a cornerback position, you know, we're not talking linebacker here. Toughness and tackling are good. And we, we get mad at corners who don't do that. But at the end of the day, when you hear a scouting report on a guy, you want to hear about his ability to flip his hips and run, cover, and do all those things. And there just wasn't enough there wasn't enough of evaluation on that last year outside of practice, right, um, And uh, in a game as to how he would hold up. Um, this just came across, so it wasn't something I had planned to ask you, but I just saw this Again? and found not breaking news, but the Vegas odds for coach of the year just came out. Would you okay. think? Would you think Sirianni is in the top five, bottom five, or somewhere in the middle? Probably somewhere in the middle. Do you realize that Nick Sirianni has the fourth shortest odds to be the coach of the year? Meaning that's likely or unlikely? He is the fourth most likely guy to win coach of the year. Yeah. The favorite is Josh McDaniels. Who's like, yeah. Josh McDaniels is the favorite. He's 12 to 1. Brandon Staley Uh is number two. He's 14 to 1. And really, if you look at it from this angle, He's got the third shortest odds because McDaniel and Nathaniel Hackett are both 14 to 1. Sirianni's mm-hmm. next at 16 to 1. Wow. Where's Todd Bowles? Todd Bowles, 22 to 1. He's in the middle. Yeah, that's tough because they've been winning double digit games for quite a while. So even though he's a new coach, it's not like uh, he's going to get a whole lot of credit if they continue to win. Yeah. That's pretty interesting there. Yeah. Ah. So I like, I, I, when I saw that, my thought was, huh, that's pretty interesting. So. Was he viewed around the league as a guy who did a really good job? Um, you know, again, when we came back from the combine, Adam Kaplan and I, a lot of the conversation about the Eagles was, you know, they're really not that good. They made the playoffs. They have a lot of holes. They have a lot of work to do. There was some credit for what Nick Sirianni was able to do on the fly, basically ripping up the, the offensive playbook and starting anew behind the running game. So people were impressed by that, his ability to adjust. But it's not like uh, I heard anybody talking about, like, the next Bill Walsh or Pete Carroll or anything like that. So, I don't, you know, I thought 
I think people just thought he did a good job with what he had to work with. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I early I thought he really struggled, and then he decided, hey, this isn't working. Let's make some adjustments, and I give him credit for making those adjustments. I'm very interested to see what he does in year number two. And I also wonder, Jeff, if he did what he wanted to do or if he did what was best for the team. Oh, he clearly did what's best for the team. If he did what he wanted to do, then he would have – or if, if running the ball like that was what he wanted to do – they would have done that from day one. And he wouldn't right? have been I mean, hired. <laughs> right? Potentially. Maybe. Uh, well, if he went <laughs> in and said, seriously, if he went in and told Jeffrey Lurie, man, we want to pound the rock, we want to be a smash-mouth <laughs> football team, there's no way he's getting that job. The, the, you're probably right about that, Mike. Right? You're I probably mean, right. Seriously. Like, By the way, who's where's Brian Dable on this list? of? Uh, Brian Dable is right there. He is... Um, it is, in fact, it is Nick Sirianni sixteen to one. Brian Dable and and Doug Peterson are next at eighteen to one. Yeah, those those are good money bets right there. I mean, teams that were have been terrible have lost a lot of games. So even if they make like five or six win improvements, right, and that it still only means they win like seven eight games, but they look so much better. And I think the Giants have talent, especially on defense. Obviously, they have a big quarterback question. But I know I'm putting um, you on the spot. But who do you think is the worst odds? The worst odds to win it all. Uh, Andy Reid? No, Reid's somewhere in the middle, 25 to 1. This guy's 50 to 1. And the team last year Mm -hmm. was the number one seed in the playoffs. Oh, is it the Vrabel? Um, Actually, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. I I totally botched where he was because he was the offensive coordinator for that team. No, he's the new coach in Atlanta. Arthur Smith has the worst odds. So essentially, they huh, think that Atlanta could be because they're so bad and they're expected to be bad. That's another team that if they, w- well, I guess that's Vegas telling you that there's just no way, and you know what, that that team isn't even going to win six to eight games. Right. Well, it's Arthur Smith is the worst, then Pete Carroll, then Matt Rule, and Lovey Smith. They're all those four are the le- are the worst four. That's interesting. I feel like there are some names there you can you might be able to make some good money on, like a Matt Rule. I mean, honestly, if they address the offensive line and win nine games, which is possible. They're going to look a whole lot better. You know, they got weapons on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Uh, I like that list, though. I, I saw it literally just got sent to me not too long ago, and I just opened it and I said, Sirianni, well, how about that? He's got the third, I mean, 16 to 1. There's a couple guys tied at 14 to 1, and then there's like a four guys at 16 to 1. I said, how about that? Could Nick Sirianni be the NFL coach of the year <laughs> in his second year? I mean, it would be. Uh, did, did Peterson win the year they won the Super Bowl? No, didn't Sean McVay win? I thought Sean McVay won it that okay, year. Okay, McVay won it that year. Yeah. So yeah. Peterson never actually got one. Right. Where's right. Robert Sala? Robert Sala is, let's see. Robert Sala is, he is 20, 28 to 1. He's down towards the bottom. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you got to find a team. You got to find a team that you think can exceed expectations a little bit. Right. Uh, Cliff right. Kingsbury's twenty-five to one. Ron Rivera's twenty-five to one. I mean, if you think Wentz can help them win the division, yeah, that's that's not a bad one. Something like that. That that might yeah. be uh, something to throw a couple bucks on. So there you go. That's the uh, the coach there. All right, let's get back into uh, we were. So Steve Nelson, he signed just to update the mm-hmm. people on our conversation, uh, which kind of asked the question: What would the plan be at corner? 15 and 18, there's going to be corners to take there, right? So would you be pretty surprised if there's corners on the board and they didn't take them? 
Uh, not like last year. Totally they didn't have surprised. last year. They didn't really have a choice of a corner, right? Teams because teams started to take them. Picking, yeah, yeah. They they Horn was gone. They liked J.C. Horn. He was gone. They really liked Sertain. They wanted to trade up to get him. They made some calls. At the end of the day, Denver took him, and they went up to get Devontae Smith. Right. They, so, the, no. the choices I, that they wanted were gone last year. I would imagine there's going to be someone that they like there. I would imagine. Now, you're a big guy on best player over need. What if, right. it, you know, even if the best player is marginally better? Well, it depends on who we're talking about. If it's Jermaine Johnson, a pass rusher, and they feel like Jermaine Johnson has a much higher grade than, say, a Trent McDuffie, uh, you got to take Jermaine Johnson. I mean, I, they certainly need a defensive end, not just for um, now, but for the future as well. Um, so, and then there'll be some decent corners in the second, second round. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he tr- maybe tried to trade down that second pick to, uh, add some, some extra second round currency, um, so that they could address multiple positions there. But no, it wouldn't shock me, but I do think corner, defensive end, and maybe wide receiver. I mean, you're looking at that one of those three. Yeah. Well, wide receiver. We were uh, discussing uh, the draft uh, in depth a little earlier. Is the, the the safety position has a lot of depth to it, and the Eagles have two third round picks. So yeah. here's a question regarding. I'll get to the wide receiver stuff. Like, if Kyle Hamilton started to get to like the ten area, do the Eagles trade to get a safety? I know what your feeling is on drafting a safety. You don't mm-hmm. think it could happen? It's not my feeling. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Like them doing About it. them yes. doing yeah. it. Right. But if he started to fall, is he a good enough safety prospect that they might say, you know what? This guy's fallen. Maybe this is our time. You know what? I just don't know that they value it enough to move up. I mean, I, you know, I could be wrong. I think they would love it if some guy like that fell to them at 15, but I don't know if they're willing to. So they'd be willing up. to take him at 15, but not move up to get him. Yeah, I don't know if they're willing to give up compensation to move up for a safety. That would definitely be a first, right? I mean, and maybe almost any round one through four that they traded up and around to get a safety. If they took uh, the best draft ever, this would be the Alec Bohm moment, right? Like, I ate this place. They end up with Kyle Hamilton and Devin Lloyd or N'Kobe Dean. Right? They took a safety uh, and a quarter and said, I hate this guy. He never drafts a safety or a linebacker. And then they walked out. And they, I love this guy. Well, I did exactly what I wanted him to do. Yeah, if that if that happens, then we're truly living in the matrix. And I'll, and I'll firmly believe it. Yeah. <laughs> we're all just plugged in. Okay, wide receiver. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of taking another one in the first round. I think that I don't mind if they took one in the second or even I'd prefer the third round. But I think... I'm talked myself out of wanting one of these guys in the first round. Why is it? Because you just don't like them, or like you just don't like the idea of three straight years in a row, or like what? I think that there's there's guys that I like later on that I feel like I'd be okay with if they got one at 51 or 81 or what's it 83 or 81 something. Okay, like that. so you like the depth of it? I that, that that's, yeah, that's fair. If if you believe that what you're getting at 18, right, overall, mm-hmm. uh, compared to what you're going to get in the second that's round the or thing. third. That the, the gulf is not that big. Yes, yeah, I, that's I, what I think. I don't love Olave. He, I wouldn't be, like, excited if they took Olave. Like, I and I then you've got a lot that. of these guys, Jeff, that are, you know, uh, Jameson Williams has an ACL problem. I mean, 
Look, now I know it's kind of contradictory that I'm saying I wouldn't mind taking uh, Pickens from Georgia. He had an ACL problem. And Mechie from Alabama, he had an ACL tear. But I would I would be more inclined to do that in the third round than I would be sure. at 15 or 18. That's my point on that. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's fair and that makes a lot of sense. I can understand that. Mm. All right. Are you um, writing off an offensive lineman with one of those two picks? I think it'd be extremely unlikely. Um, well, I, you know, you know, do their propensity, I think propensity they will draft an offensive lineman? Yeah, in the somewhere, draft, somewhere, just not in the first round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, they do have a propensity to do that, but um, I feel like their depth on the offensive line—that's another thing. They have so much depth on the offensive line. I, like we, Adam and I had the conversation yesterday about teams calling for Dillard, and I said if you're another team. And you're calling for Dillard, and they're saying because Adam indicated that the Eagles weren't all that excited about trading Dillard, right? I don't know. Do you um, hear the same? Last year, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. But if I'm on the phone with Howie Roseman, fine. You don't want to trade Dillard? I'll take Driscoll. I'll take Sayamala. <laughs> I'll take Jack Anderson. I'll take Herbig. Like, give me somebody. You guys are hoarding all these linemen. Yeah, seriously. Come on, fork him over. I'm sure people will be calling. You know, their depth is interesting. They do have depth, but a guy like Dillard is probably not long for the team. A, a guy like Nate Herbig is only here for a year. And then you're going to have a very quick sort of um, exodus with Jason Kelsey, who I have to think well, this will be his last year. Um, and then you really don't know what's going to happen with Isaac Sayamalu because you want Landon Dickerson at one of the other guard spots. And Sayamalu has been hurt couple of times you know the raven clark's only there on a year so like at this time while we're talking about line depth at this time next year let's say they made no moves in this draft right it wouldn't look as deep and and that's what they've been good at is like not just looking for this year but looking forward on what they have which is why i do suspect that they'll continue to address the offensive line at some point during the draft um and and the only way it's the first round maybe there's a big run on corners and pass rushers and you're sitting there at like 18 and maybe you've already gotten either a corner, a pass rusher. And at 18, the best player on your board is Tyler Lindenbaum. And he's just, like you said, he's better than the cluster of wide receivers because you think you can get wide receiver in the second round. Then I could see that happening. All right, uh, Jeff Mosher, Football at Four from the Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com. Uh, you guys, uh, the Greg Cosell Intel show has been fantastic uh, for our Thank listeners you. out there if you guys want to check that out it's on the inside the birds platform on their youtube channel go to inside the birds.com wherever you get your podcasts uh the new podcast dropped yesterday uh what's today uh, drops tomorrow morning drops tomorrow morning the um yes. latest one will drop tomorrow morning and tomorrow andrew will be here our listeners love when andrew can uh, get a little dirt on the uh draft prospects and uh we'll talk more draft with him tomorrow is there anything else that i missed jeff mosher well he andrew had a great interview with, uh, he's been doing a series for us called draft dreams where he interviews small college prospects who are going to get drafted he had a great one with zion mccullum who played uh for sam houston state they won the uh national champ or the fcs championship um great so the kid's six three and ran a four three he's going to get drafted as a cornerback with great length Great size, and he's a great personality. He grew up an Eagles fan in Texas. So that was a, an interesting part of his story. And, of course, he played for Casey Keeler, who uh, won a couple of national titles with Delaware before going on to Sam Houston. So uh, he's been he's got a pretty good coaching career. He's got to be like one of those, um, 
you know, those like the, the Urban Meyer of the FCS, right? Because I think he has two at Delaware, two at Sam Houston, or one or two at Sam Houston State there. He's 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 building up that profile, Casey Keeler. Yeah, I remember his uh, Rowan days, man. He was uh, That's right. building the power uh, when he was at Rowan. By the way, Andre Chachere is back with the Eagles, too. He's a good special teamer. Very good special teamer. Good find by them. Is he a corner or a sa- He's a safety. They call him a hybrid player. He played like a nickel slash safety kind of role. He's a, a really good special teams player. That's if he's on the field on defense, you're you're not as happy. But if he's your core special teamer, you're thrilled. Gotcha. All right, Jeff Mosher. I'll talk to you. Uh, have a good week, pal. You too, my friend. Talk All to you right, soon. Uh, Jeff Mosher, inside the birds dot com. Uh, we'll get the uh, headlines. There's a big headline I want to talk to Josh about. Sometimes he gives me the headline. Every once in a while, I throw some his way. I should do a whole segment based on the headlines I would pick versus the headlines he gives me because we don't talk about those beforehand. And I'm looking at headlines, and he gives me headlines, and I'm like, man, these headlines don't match the ones I got. I have one that I want to talk about. All right? <laughs> I'll get your opinion on it. Uh, Sports Bash. 97.3 ESPN. Uh, it's brought to you by the Caesars Sportsbook. It's giving out uh, a feast to new users, and uh, by feast, I mean $250 in Uber Eats gift card. Here's how it works. Just bet $50 on your first bet. Win or lose, you'll get $250 digital gift card at Uber Eats. Make sure you use the promo code RADIOEAT. That's one word, RADIOEAT. And here are the latest betting facts from Caesars Sportsbook. The odds movement from opening to now. The biggest risers in the NFL, the Browns, 55%, Tampa Bay, 43%. Broncos, 36%. Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, and uh, Deshaun Watson. That's why those three teams are in there. The Fallers, well, the Seahawks, they lost Russell Wilson. The Bengals have fallen. Uh, don't know why there. I think they've gotten better in the offseason. And the Patriots, Falcons, and Eagles are also on that list. You must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey. New customers with eligible promo code only. Real money wagers only have minimum odds of minus 200. $250 gift card. Redemption code and steps to redeem the gift card will be sent via email within 72 hours. Uber gift card terms and conditions apply. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void were prohibited. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Caesars Sportsbook downloaded, people. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 429 on the Sports Bash. we got another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip coming up at 455 today. All right, uh, my producer, Josh Henning, he's got our headlines today. Now, every once in a while, I like to interject my own headlines because these are stories that I don't get a chance to get to as much that have some interest to me. Would you like to go first? I will. All right. Have you seen, now I told you earlier, JT Daniels, the quarterback, transferred. Yes. Now, he has transferred from USC to Georgia, Mm -hmm. and then he transferred from Georgia to West Virginia. Country roads. Take me home. Now, did you know, by the way, the new offensive coordinator at... uh, West Virginia is Graham Harrell, who was, of course, uh, the quarterback at uh, Texas uh, Tech, I guess. Yes, but he helped recruit Daniels to USC. You uh, are correct on that. So JT Daniels was a highly touted five-star prospect. He started at USC. Why did he leave USC? 
Well, he left USC because when he got injured, he got Wally Pitt. Caden Slovis. All right. Did you know Caden Slovis has transferred to Pitt? Yes. And they will play each other in the backyard brawl on oh, September 1st, this 2022. Beautiful. See, these are the headline stories the people need. This is a great Slovis and Daniels <laughs> will play against each other, Pitt, West Virginia, September 1st, 2022. I need to know the over-under and take it. Now, did you know that the Backyard <laughs> Brawl signed a contract extension today? They will play, oh. uh, I think they extended the series for like eight out of the next 15 years. I like that. So the West Virginia pit, which has not been. How can been, we just get West Virginia to lead the Big 12 and go to the ACC? I would be happy with that. But uh, Pitt and West Virginia are extending the Backyard Brawl football series. They will play eight of the next 11 series uh, seasons. The current home-and-home home series um, deal it goes from 2022 to 2025 with Pitt hosting this year and in 2024. After a three-year break, they will meet each season from 2029 to 2032. We're talking about the 30s, 2032. They just signed that thing for it. How about that? Uh, I got another headline for you real quick. Oh, okay. See if you picked this one or not. Well, I got my list in front of me. Now, JT Daniels is not the first on my list, but he was on my list. All right, Daniels will play Slovis. That's one. She today, Clayton Kershaw was throwing a perfect game. I did see that. And he was removed from the game with 80 pitches. Yeah, due to a pitch count. Yeah, what do you think about that? I think it's stupid. These I managers think, today. I think analytics has, has adulterated our ability to watch sports in situations like this. Yeah. The managers today are shameful. What has happened to baseball is shameful. That's my take on that. It's just ridiculous. I, I This was my complaint last week with Nola. Everyone with two eyeballs saw that Nola was running out of gas. But Got because you. there's some there's some imbecilic analytics dude in Girardi's ear, the analytics say he's only a this number of pitches with this strike-to-ball ratio. Got to keep him in. Mm-hmm. No. You got two eyeballs, Gerard. You caught in the big leagues for over a decade. You played in the postseason. You got a World Series ring as a player and a coach. You and I both see he can't pitch anymore. Pull him out of the game. I don't care what his pitch count. And it's anything goes the other direction. If Clayton Kershaw is pitching lights out, let him keep rolling. Well, he was not pitching lights out. He was pitching perfect. <laughs> I mean, that's better than lights out. He had 13 strikeouts in seven innings. He didn't give up a hit. He didn't give up a walk. Bupkis, nothing. Just let him play. Let the kids play. Right? I mean, I feel like professional baseball has now gotten to the point where we need back to the uh, bad news bears at the Astrodome (laughs) where they're chanting, let them play. God's sakes. Whose idea was this? Seven innings, 13 strikeouts. Yeah, you know what? I think it's time to get you out of there. I mean, guess what? Kershaw has been a World Series champion. He's been a Cy Young Award winner. He's a future Hall of Famer, he's, a, he's accomplished pretty much everything he can. Let him go for something like this. Why not? What's the worst that happens? He gives up a home run the next inning, then you pull him out. Shame. It's, it's, it's a very simple equation. Can I get back to the quarterbacks, by the way? What do you got? Derek Carr's contract extension. Oh, I did see this. Three years, $121.5 million extension that includes a no-trade clause that runs through 2025. Now, the reason why I find this interesting, Mike, is because it felt like the entire John Gruden era, there were rumors that there were a trade I got to be honest. When I saw the extension today, I was a bit surprised. 
the entire Gruden era, it was, they're going to trade Carr. Gruden wants somebody else. It's a three-year extension, which means he signed for this year. The extension starts next year, so he'll be the quarterback there for four years. Which means he's also the quarterback for the tenure of Josh McDaniels' current head coach contract. Maybe McDaniels was a big big fan. What do you think of that? Well, you got Derek Carr, you got Devontae Adams now. People forget. They played together at Fresno State. Devontae Adams says that Derek Carr is his best friend. Right. So that's a big factor here is that Carr probably had, Adams probably had the backing of Carr. And at that point, let's line this whole thing up together. Carr, Adams, McDaniels, we're going for it. All their contracts almost line up perfectly now. So now, as an organization, you got the three-headed trio of lockups. Now let's see what happens. And by the way, don't forget, they have a completely new front office there, too. They stole a lot of guys from the New England pipeline and brought them to Las Vegas. People are calling them now Patriots West. Well, we'll see. McDaniels failed miserably his first time. He did. But so. McDaniels claims, if you believe McDaniels, he claims that he was too young to be a head coach back then. That's a fair look. Him. That's fair. It's totally fair. To say, hey, I was in over my head, but I learned a lot from being in over my head. I have no problem if he comes out and says, I just wasn't ready, but how do I get ready? I fail. Right. Now, does he learn from his failures? It's a good question. We're going to find out very quickly. Doug Peterson said there was a lot of things that he, he won the Super Bowl for God's sakes, and he said there's a lot of things he would do differently. Did you hear about what Baker Mayfield said? Um, I want to say, no, I did not. But I did see that he spoke and he's essentially he I'm saying that he said he was feels disrespected. He said on the didn't listen to the audio, but I kind of saw um, that he says that he felt disrespected. And he has really like no clue where he's going to play this year. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. So he was on the YNK podcast and he said he was 100 percent disrespected. Quote, I was told one thing. And they completely did another thing, unquote. Yeah, that's life, dude. He was. I don't later... feel bad for that. I don't feel bad that a business decision was made. I know it sucks, but we all have decisions made at our jobs. You work at CVS and someone says, hey, listen, you're going to work. Uh, you're off Easter Sunday. And then someone calls out, sorry, you got to come in Easter Sunday. That happens. It happens to everybody. It happens to you. You got told last week, hey, sorry. Uh, somebody has to come in on Sunday. It happens. Now, so Baker Mayfield, I don't feel bad that this happened. Like, you were told you were going to be the starter. Well, guess what? I didn't know that I was going to be able to make this trade. These things happen. This is like life. You're allowed to change your opinion when new information comes your way. So I don't feel bad for Baker Mayfield that he was told one thing and something else happened. Now, he went on to say that, quote, I really, truly, honestly have no regrets of my time in Cleveland of what I tried to give that place True Clevelanders and Browns fans know that. He went on to say, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that I got caught up in all the negativity lately and the stuff during last year. And he says that he has things that he is going to learn from from the last year about being tough and being physical as a quarterback. Well, listen, I think he thoroughly enjoyed being the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. It's like an underdog team. He's an underdog story. You know, he was a walk-on. He wins the Heisman. He was twice a walk-on. I just feel like he's one of those guys that if your team has him, you're not happy with him. Like he's just not good enough. Right. If you had Baker Mayfield, you're like, our guy's not good enough. It's like having Kirk Cousins. It's like having that level of guy. that He's good. He's just not. You know you're not a, a Super Bowl team. 
It's unfortunate. Hey, listen. He is one of, really, two quarterbacks in the last 30 years to win a playoff game for Cleveland. So, God means something, right? He's yeah. got more. He's got more playoff wins than Andy Dalton. Mm-hmm. I agree. I said he's good. I, he just—he's the guy that your team doesn't want. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! He'd be better than Marcus Mariota in Atlanta. I agree, but not for the money. Drew Locke in Seattle. Definitely. <laughs> Even for the money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would you like to, me to squeeze in one more here? Uh, if you don't have one, I do. Well, I have one, but I want to hear what yours is. All right. Uh, this is another story. These are stories that, like, make my day. Okay. Uh, Armando Baycott is going back to the Tar Heels for his senior year. I did see that. Now, that's something I like. A senior going to go back to school. A senior in college basketball. We're going to get this be like like 1995, where a senior at North Carolina is going to be. Baycott's going to seem like. Like a, a 35-year-old man among 18-year-olds. But that's what college basketball is. Seniors going back and, and living their best life. Walking around campus like they own the place. I did see the quote from Baycott says that he, he wants to experience the college life. Oh God, God bless him. You could tell me if I was in college. Hey, man, you could stay at West Virginia for another year. Or you could be a second-round pick in the sport of your choice. And I'd say, dude, I'm staying here. I never want to leave. Now, I'm 45 years old. It's easy for me to say that now. And I probably at that time, I'm not sure. I mean, I had many opportunities. I stayed in West Virginia and stayed down there and and lived for a year. But Baycott, you might make me a North Carolina fan. Would you you like to place a futures bet on North Carolina for next year now? I wouldn't be deterred. I, I want to see the odds. Yeah, definitely. You know, maybe I love that. I love the fact that the senior a senior is going back to school. I mean, that's a that's a pretty favorable easily, prop swap. Baycott probably not a draft pick, right? I was assuming he was maybe a second round pick. I don't maybe know what maybe a G leaguer, but probably an overseas player. Probably, but NLI uh, NIL probably get a pizza shop down there to give you hundred thousand dollars. Pizza shop probably get a barber too. Whatever, you see thinking. his hair. It takes a lot of work to get that thing done. Okay, well, get somebody. I, I pizza shop. I'm throwing out a random business that will say, hey, Baycott, here you go. Have some. It's on us. All right, uh, coming up, uh, Paul Hudrick, Sixers Keys. Biggest key is the pressure on James Harden. Harden says no. What does Paul Hudrick think? Stick around. Now, back Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 446 Sixers and the Raptors this Saturday, 6 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers. A lot to discuss uh, from today's media availability. My first question, though, for Paul Hudrick is, please tell me that this will not get to Game 7 where I'm going to have to decide on Sixers or first round of the NFL draft. What do you got? I think it's there's a really good chance it's going to go seven games. <laughs> Uh, really good chance. And then unfortunately, in, it, when a series goes seven games, um, you kind of never know what's going to happen after that. You would say home court advantage is good, but um, perhaps, you know, after seeing last year what happened with the Hawks, maybe not. Maybe not. That's always the case. Well, history would suggest that the Raptors and the Sixers are going to go seven both times they've played in the playoffs. It has gone seven. A lot of topic today about James Harden saying, look, no pressure on me. I've accomplished enough. Uh, there's no pressure. He's got to just be given hearsay. The only guy who has pressure, besides probably Doc Rivers, just because the way we think of coaches in this town, 
is James Harden, right? Absolutely. And when you make such a big swing, I mean, granted, I think if you're a Sixers fan and you and you look back and you wouldn't make that trade again, I think you're crazy. I mean, I still think you make that trade 100 times out of 100 um, to, to move on from Ben Simmons and to get a player like Harden in the fold. Yes, you gave up Seth Curry. Yes, you gave up Andre Drummond. But I think it's still... Um, was worth it to take this big swing. Now, with Wait, are that you big in, swing, uh, correct. Are you in the camp, Paul, that thinks that Thibel was included in the deal, but since he wasn't vaccinated at Brooklyn, asked for somebody else? I would say no, because I think that they probably felt confident that eventually it was going to, that, you know, they were going to get Kyrie back. Around that, that time, at that time, Toronto was still, yeah. like, in the play-in game. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah, but I still think, I mean, it... it <laughs> I understand that sentiment, but um, this isn't going to, like, the restrictions weren't going to last forever. They're not going to last forever. Matisse Thibel is still very young, yeah. and he would have been an outstanding fit. So, no, I'm not of the belief that, um, I'm of the belief that they, that it was a shrewd move by Daryl Morey to keep Matisse Thibel here. I, I think, you know, moving Curry and moving Drummond and giving up those picks, that was in order to keep Thibel, keep Maxi, and not move on from the young players. But, yeah, getting back to Harden, it's, just, it's when you take, that big of a swing and you take that big of a chance on a guy and you talk about championship expectations. And when you're asked about it, which there's no other answer when you're asked about it, you have to say, yes, we believe there is enough time that we can come together and make this work and make this a championship. Of course, um, that's going to up the pressure. It's going to up the ante. And I think if you're James Harden, he's already putting that pressure on himself, right? He's 32 years old. He's never won. That's the knock on him is that he hasn't played well in the playoffs. That His teams haven't, you know, been able to get to that to that final destination. So, of course, uh, there there is a ton, a ton of pressure um, on James Harden growing into this playoffs. Yeah, he, I, uh, I was talking uh, earlier, Paul. Like, you know, I'm 45 years old, so like uh, Dominique Wilkins was the guy who was like really, really good, but never had any playoff like uh, moments. Like the Hawks just always kind of got knocked out. There was a bunch of guys like in that time frame that just weren't good enough. And Harden is like one of those players that. He's a really, really, really good player, but more of your memories of him in the playoffs aren't what he did well. It's what he wasn't able to do. Well, I mean, it pains me to say this as someone, you know, I'm 37 and I grew up worshiping Allen Iverson. I mean, other than 2001, how many memorable playoff runs did they really have? And it's not to say that Allen Iverson was a a poor playoff performer. It's just the reality is. Yeah. Um, a lot of those were, a lot of those weren't Iverson's shortcomings. It was the team wasn't sure. good enough. Some of them are Harden in the biggest games. Two for yeah. what was he three for twenty two? The one series you can make, yeah, that, that Golden State series. Uh, they had the Warriors on the ropes, and he couldn't quite get them over the hump. Granted, Chris Paul gets hurt. Um, granted, the rest of the team just has the worst shooting performance, shooting slump in NBA history. But certainly, uh, a, a good amount of that falls on James because James. Was the guy? He was the guy who he was. He was the son of that yeah. team. Everything revolved around him. So, uh, when that is the case, and your team doesn't get it done, yeah, uh, the focus is going to be on you. I will say, I think that's one case where maybe you could argue he doesn't have as much pressure because, as great as he he is, he still is, and as great as they need him to be, this is Joel Embiid's team. Okay. Joel Embiid is is the son of this team. You, you are correct. So do you find that Embiid doesn't have pressure because it feels like it's all on Harden? Is Embiid devoid of pressure? No, uh, definitely not. Because it's, it's 
a similar thing to Harden, right? I mean, they haven't, the Sixers have not been able to get past the second round. That's been the knock in the Embiid era, even when they've been great. The Toronto series, they lose in game seven. Uh, you could certainly make the argument that if Joel Embiid is a little bit healthier, perhaps in a little bit better shape, they win that series. And then who knows what happens after that? Um, you know, and then even going back to the, the, the prior year against Boston, you know, he was a little young then. It was only his second season. So maybe you give him a little bit of leeway. But if he was perhaps a little bit better against Boston, maybe they win that series. Uh, and then the same for, you know, he had his great moments against the Hawks. But even he said, you know, that one, I think it was. Uh, I can't remember which game it was in Atlanta where he really struggled. I don't think he hit a, a shot in the second half. Yeah. Game six or, or whatever. One of the other games he had a shot, a game winning shot he missed. So, of course, like this is this is both of these guys. It is about their legacy. So as fair or unfair, that is how we weigh a lot of these players is whether or not they've won. And he hasn't won. By the way, I hate a two o'clock Saturday game, too. That's just an awful playoff. See, game. I love it. I oh. love it. I'm up. I have a newborn baby, I know. man, so I, I'm already I'm up. up. I'm, I'm up. It's just Saturday, like 2 o'clock. I feel like ah, I just want to lay or take a drive or walk somewhere. Like 2 o'clock, i got to be in, like, mode, ready. Like, I hate it. How about – I'm uh, ready to roll. Who is it? Oh, uh, Dallas and Utah are playing 11 o'clock local time playoff game on a Saturday. That's awful. Like, yeah, for for them, that, how about see, now a, that I agree with you. That would be for a playoff game. That's way too early. But see, o'clock, I like it as a good. fan. Eleven o'clock, I like as a fan. Eleven o'clock, I get you know my second coffee, sitting there <laughs> like games on. That I like. Um, <laughs> Paul George Niang, he spoke today. Um, now he indicated that he would have played if it was the playoffs with this knee injury. So he looks like he's good to go. Is he? Would you label him as like the most important bench guy? Is he like their six man? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, especially in this series, when you consider um, that it, it appears Danny Green's going to be the starter and Matisse Thybulle's not going to be in the starting lineup. And so I don't have a there is a, a, a very strong possibility that Matisse Thybulle's going to miss three games. So um, in that regard, yeah, George Yang probably is your most uh, important reserve, your best reserve. Certainly, if you look throughout the course of the season, you could argue other than Joel Embiid, George Yang was like their most consistent player uh, throughout the entire season. Of course, Maxie's in that mix too, but yeah, I, I mean, but the, but the reality is Mike, like the other, the other guys off the bench are super important too, right? Like Shake Milton, he's going to play a really important role again, especially with Matisse Thibel about to miss games. Shake Milton's going to be huge for this team. Yeah. Doc talked about him today as well, said what's been encouraging over the last, whatever, a few weeks uh, his spot-up game has gotten much better. He's hitting catch-and-shoot threes, which is uh, it's going to make an enormous difference, especially when you're looking at this Raptors team. And again, with the Yang, guys are going to get shots because yeah. they're going to they're going to trap Joel Embiid. They're going to show so much attention to James Harden. The other guys on the court are going to get looks. So George Yang's got to fire away, and he's got to hit. Same with Shake Milton. Same with Danny Green. Uh, same with Tyrese Max, like Tobias Harris. Every guy on this team that is not named Joel Embiid and James Harden is going to get open looks, and it is crucial that they are ready to fire and that they actually hit them. Uh, last one for Paul Hudrick. Um, did he address the backup center situation at all? No, I think he was still upset over the uh, Paul Reed victory tour. So I don't. I did he? Did he? Sen- did you sense that he had some uh, vigor today? Yeah, I, I feel like the last two days he's maybe been in a little bit of a, I don't know, sunnier mood, I guess is, is the best way to put it. Um, so, I, I mean, you know, I, 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 he seemed to indicate, again, like going back to Sunday, I think we touched on it the other day. I, 
I got the strong sense that he is planning to use Paul Reed. Um, and it's just maybe he just didn't want to get Paul a little too amped up and have him be a little too cocky, uh, you know, feeling himself a little bit. And so maybe he was just trying to pump the brakes a little bit on that. But um, to me, it seems pretty clear that Paul Reed is the choice. A lot of the stuff Doc Rivers said on Sunday after that game seemed to indicate that Paul Reed is the choice, but I guess we're going to find out. Uh, Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, they got the series covered from top to bottom. They got a story about the worst losses in Philly history. That's very Philly. Good job by you guys. Paul Hudrick's back on Friday. We'll get his pick on the series and the matchups and everything you got to watch. Plus, the NBA playoffs uh, will be set at, well, no, the Friday playing games. We know Brooklyn is playing the Celtics. We'll talk a little bit about that series and more. Paul, appreciate it, bud. You got it, Mike. All right, that's Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, here on the Sports Bash. He'll be back on Friday. And right now, we've got this for you. That is our Pick Your Trip contest sounder. We're looking for caller number 7 at 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller number 7. If you are caller 7, you are qualified for Pick Your Trip. It's our biggest draft party ever, where one lucky listener will get a chance to pick the Eagles road game of their choice this season. You pick the game. It includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. It's all thanks to Philly Sports Road Trips. Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com and our friends at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller 7, you must be present to win at our Eagles draft party at Slack Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83 in Cape May Courthouse. Good luck. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Just after five on the Sports Bash, congratulations. Our latest qualifier is Robert in Vinelin. Robert in Vinelin, you are qualified for Pick Your Trip. Thanks to our friends over at phillysportstrips.com. You are qualified for a chance to pick your Eagles road trip this year. One lucky winner will pick the Eagles road game of their choice. We have another chance for you to qualify tonight at 555 and 655. Phillies are uh, down to their final at bats here. They are losing nine to five in the top of the night. They did try to fight and get back in this game, but uh, to no avail. Here's some problems with the Phillies. Not uh, panic mode there, Josh, but Schwarber, Real Muto, Harper are nine for sixty-three. That's one forty-three. Schwarber is zero for his last eighteen with eight strikeouts since uh, that opening home run that he hit, and he. Uh, Concern there, I would say no, but uh, some people out there are a little bit more skeptics than I am, typically. I don't think there's a lot of extensive concern. I just think that, you know, you you want to see the team play at a certain level this time of year. And if they're not playing at that level, it, it does give you a little... A little something to keep in the back of your mind the next time you see a similar situation come up. Like well, here's that. what I would say. The... The offense, to me, it, like you could bet against you could bet whoever's pitching against the Phillies to get five or more strikeouts every game. This offense is going to strike out a ton. Schwarber, 
Yes. Uh, Castellanos, Harper strikes out. I mean, they just are big power hitters. Hoskins, they're going to strike out a lot. So the strikeouts are going to come in droves. They're going to come in bunches. They're going to score a lot of run in droves, a lot of run in bunches. Naturally. That's what's going to happen. The fear of this team was a bad bullpen. Well, the bullpen's been okay. Today it wasn't great because Nola sucked. And then you had to go to the bullpen early, and then things kind of Well, you unraveled. said they went to Dominguez too early. You were telling me. Here yeah, I didn't like that they went to Dominguez that early. Um that's one problem, but the whole bullpen, you had to go to them early a couple times in this series. That's a recipe for failure. And they're not a good defensive team. Not that the defense has hurt them today, and it really hasn't hurt them. I mean, the errors that Bohm made the other day, they end up winning that game. But those were the concerns. Bullpen errors. I don't think you should be long-term concerned about the fact that their offense is kind of sputtering along right now. They did score five runs today, uh, but a lot of those runs are coming from Bryson Stott, uh, who's a kid. I mean, you need the Schwarbers and the Castellanos and the Real Mutos. And by the way, Bryce Harper's hitting 100. Uh, you need that crew. Uh, by the way, Camargo is two for four today. He's hitting 500 on the season. So Stott and Camargo, who are your seven and eight hit hole hitters, those are the two guys that have been providing your offense. Veerling, by the way, doesn't have a hit yet this year. So we're back to this center field problem where the center fielder can't do anything. But guess what? This lineup should have enough in it that the nine-hole hitter, who typically is the def- uh, the pitcher, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that everybody complained about the pitcher for years, hitting in that spot. Well, now your guy in that spot's hitting zero. Do you feel like that we need to give Harper a little slack because he does have a history of not hitting well early in the year? Uh, Harper? He has a history of not playing always Yeah, I'm not concerned yet. about him at all. I mean, he's the last guy you're concerned about. Look, it's six games in. You go three for four one game, and your average is changed upside down. It's just that you added Schwarber, Harper, Castellanos. You got Real Muto up there. And what are the numbers I gave you? Those numbers came from um, Corey Seidman. That Schwarber, Real Muto, Harper are nine for 63 because Castellanos actually been pretty good. Uh, the rest of those guys, they're hitting 143, and then Schwarber's really struggled. So, and you got Schwarber in the leadoff spot. When your leadoff guy's kind of struggling or wrong, he's only uh, OBP 231 so far. Uh, but I look, they're, it's bottom of the ninth. Uh, Harper's leading off here. So we'll see if Harper, it takes one. You hit one, you know, you get that double. Sometimes it's a little infield squibber that you just kind of squib down that third baseline here. I, I would imagine they got the shift on him, and maybe he, you know, gets that. Uh, something, just something that gets you going early in the season. Maybe like a home run. Bryce Harper, oppo boppo. Is that gone? Yeah, I think it is. It was inside the pole to me. It looked like it hit the pole, right? So just as we're talking, as we're having this conversation, Harper goes opposite field. You should have live bet it, Mike. Come on. Um, I'm reading about the Jake Arietta, who, of course, was a former Phillies pitcher. Not the most popular guy, of course, but says you have to let Kershaw roll in the eighth. Doesn't matter if it's his first or 30th start, hitter to hitter. If any man has ever earned that right, it's him. Roll the damn dice. Now, I don't think it was them not rolling the dice. For those of you who aren't uh, have no idea what I'm talking about, Kershaw had a perfect game going today with 13 strikeouts, and they took him out of the game in the seventh at 80 pitches, to which I think is preposterous. First off, he's a grown man. Of 35 years old. How old is Kershaw? I feel like that number is pretty accurate, but I'll double check. Well, he's a grown man. 
He's pitched for a long time and know well enough how long he can go. Right. You're telling me a grown – this whole thing, like, Zach Wheeler did not throw a game in spring training. He had a couple of minor league starts. But he did not get up on a big league mound or a grapefruit league mound and throw. And he was just as crisp and dominating yesterday. Clayton's 34, by the way. Okay, I was off a year. Yeah, not big deal. Something tells me – that a 34-year-old man can handle throwing more than 80 pitches. This whole pitch count thing is... It's adulterated the game, Mike. It, it has put the game in a position where you're depending on something that is blind to what's in front of you. Numbers don't tell the whole story. They never have and they never will. Look, the pitch counts are... To me, a pitch count is not the big issue, especially at the major league level. It's workload. All right? Innings. Well, just workload in general, okay? Not necessarily innings. Okay. But workload. Because when I say workload and not necessarily innings, this is what I mean. Pitch count was is something that has been put in to try to be a protector. So what has happened? Coaches have tried to circumvent the pitch count rules. So now what have they done? They have upped your workload. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't use you for 60 pitches or 80 pitches. So what we'll do is we'll use you for 30 pitches on one day and 30 pitches again on the next day. And then in your mind, you only throw two innings. Well, I only threw two innings today. Yeah, because the circumvention of the pitch count rule is... Well, you can't throw this many pitches, so we'll only throw you two innings. So that I can use you again for two innings again tomorrow. Gotcha. And then I can use you for two innings again, not the next day, but the following day. So you throw two innings, and you only threw 30 pitches. Mm-hmm. So then the next day, it's, well, I only threw two innings yesterday. So now you throw two innings again. Well, now you're up to 60 pitches in two days. The inflammation on your arm never really went away. It wasn't sore enough to not pitch, but it's still there. Well, then the next day might go by and you don't pitch. And then the thir- the fourth day comes and you say, well, I threw two innings the last time I pitched. You're not remembering the two innings you threw on Monday. So now you threw two innings on Monday, two innings on Tuesday. You didn't throw on Wednesday. But in your mind, the last time you pitched, you only threw two innings. When you've actually thrown four innings in two days, and now you're about to throw again. The inflammation on your arm never goes back down. So this is where the pitch count thing is actually a hindrance in safety rather than a, than a help. You would rather, I would rather anyway, I can't speak for everybody. I, everybody can deal with their pitcher differently. Go out there and throw 100 pitches, 120 pitches, and then take the rest of the week off. Don't throw again. That's what these major leaguers do. They basically throw. Now, the problem is now they're actually putting pitch counts in for grown men. Instead of saying, hey, go out there and pitch 120 pitches, you're throwing every fifth day. Now you're telling a 35-year-old Clayton Kershaw, hey, you're at 80 pitches. That's it. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, Clayton Kershaw has earned the right to say, if I get hurt, I get hurt. Right? Right. Guess what? I have news for you. If Clayton Kershaw threw another 15 pitches, and the way he was going in that game, how many pitches did he throw? 80 in seven innings? So he's just over 10 pitches an inning? Which is really nothing in the grand scheme. Nothing! Dave Roberts should be embarrassed. 
the whole Dodger organization. And you could say, well, they won the World Series. They're the best team. They didn't win the World Series last year, but uh, the year before. The year before, yeah. Guess what? They have been clearly the best team. They're clearly the most talented team. And they only have one to show for it. So while they're well run, I'm not knocking them for that. Maybe they overthink it a little too much. Maybe they would have multiple World Series if they let baseball take its course instead of the numbers take their course. Because the Dodgers are a team that has really good baseball players. They are run by guys who are really analytical. But they have just kind of added baseball players to their analytics. Correct. Maybe if they took a little of the the analytics out of the day-to-day, they'd have more than one World Series. Because guess what has happened to that team more times than not? They have been upset. They have made blunders in the playoffs. So I'm not saying that analytics doesn't have their place. It certainly does. The Dodgers are an example. But they're also an example of how the Dodgers have overthought things and it has hurt them. And I think today it hurt the opportunity for Clayton Kershaw to come up with and do something special possibly. And so, And as you said earlier, it was something that he's done everything except for this so far in his career. So why not let him He's had a it? no-hitter, right? He had a no-hitter, but not a perfect game. Okay. So I want to transition to this. There's there's so much discussion about Embiid and Jokic for the MVP. Now, Jokic is going to win, right? He shouldn't, but he will. Well, why do you say he shouldn't? Why shouldn't he? I have no problem with Jokic winning it. Because it goes I, back I got to... All these people who are like almost as if Jokic has no business being in the conversation. It's not that he doesn't belong in the conversation. It's the people who are voting are now back to your analytics thing with baseball are using analytics as an excuse to push a guy across the finish line instead of saying... Well, if they're very even and you're trying to split something, do you go to something else? Do you try to find, hey, these two guys are pretty equal. Their numbers are almost identical. But again, that's numbers. No, I'm saying, all right, forget them. Their statistics are almost identical. Your classic statistics. Your points per game, your rebounds per game, your block shots per game, those things. The classic statistics are almost identical. Sure. But to me, number one, the block shot doesn't tell the whole story of Joel Embiid's defense. Joel Embiid, when he is not on the court, as you've discussed many times, the team's defense goes to hell in a handbasket. You could argue that Jokic's backup, JaVel McGee, is a better defender than he is on the court. So you have one guy in Jokic whose biggest impact on the game is very heavy on one side of the ball. Joel Embiid's impact is twofold when he's on the court, first of all. Second of all, Joel Embiid, if we're going to use stats and numbers, he's the first center since Shaq to lead the league in scoring. Yeah, by three points. But that's still significant. It that's is great. Story. I, I, look, I get it. He he beat Jokic in scoring 30-27. to 27. It's If you told me it was 30-18... to 18, that's different. He, it was a three-point basket that he beat him by. It's, it's a, significant. It's a nice accomplishment. I'm not minimizing that Embiid, a big man, is a center who won the scoring title. But he won the scoring title over Giannis Antetokounmpo by what, point something? Like point three. Okay. So you can make an argument. Why not throw Antetokounmpo's name into this conversation? But I'd be more comfortable with Giannis than Jokic because Giannis, like Embiid, carried his team at times – when guys were injured, guys were out with COVID, guys were just unavailable. See, I have a problem with that. Jokic, to me, got hurt more 
by injuries than any other player. They lost Murray and Michael Porter Jr. That's better than any two players the Sixers did not have. Murray is better than any player on the Sixers. Yes or no? I don't know if I go that far. I mean, he's very good. I mean... Who are you taking, Murray or Tobias Harris? Oh, Murray. Murray yeah. or Harris? I mean, uh, Maxi. Maxi. Yeah. All right. We differ there. Michael Porter Jr. or Harris? Probably Porter Jr. Right. He lost both of those guys. I mean, that's two major, major player. And the only other guy he has to play with, uh, who's the other guy? Aaron Gordon? Aaron Gordon. Is really the only other player on that team that's halfway decent as a starter. So I think Jokic's supporting cast of the teams we're talking about for this is the weakest. Okay, fair. Okay. I I'll, I will give you that. I just think of the general principle. I think there's a lot of people who are voting, voting for the award, mm-hmm. who are trying to lean on the analytics and the and the number crunching. To I, give I, I Jokic agree with what push. you're saying. I'm wondering if they're leaning on that because it's so close everywhere else that they're trying to find a way to push them one way or the other. Maybe I don't know. Well, I said I said to Kevin McCormick last night. I don't think it's a coincidence. That the when you ask the players in this league, like what Kevin Durant said yesterday, sorry, the other day, or what you know different players are tweeting online, the players are saying that Embiid's the MVP. Mm-hmm. But that straw poll of the media, yeah, was heavy for Jokic. Right. So that tells me that there is a divide in how people are viewing the game. Well, uh, there was a really good article from Zach Lowe over at ESPN.com. I don't know if you saw this, but he went through the whole thing and both all the arguments on all sides. And one of them was that Embiid backers are saying that the MVP typically comes from a team that's higher than the sixth seed. To which I said, listen, if that's your argument, that's not a good argument for Embiid. I think it's a poor argument because that's the argument I've always hated. Right. Well, I've Denver always hated that has 48 wins. They're the sixth seed. Philadelphia has 51 wins and they're the fourth seed. The win-loss, I mean, you can make an argument that Denver at 48 wins is way more impressive without Murray and Michael Porter Jr. than Philadelphia is at 51 wins Correct. when they got James Harden. You can make the argument. Now, you could say that in B getting them to where they were without Ben Simmons for the first half of the year, the first, you know, 60% of the season, once they got Harden, you could make an argument that that actually hurt in B. Yes, you can't make that argument. Because they weren't as good as they should have been once they got Harden. Whereas oh. Jokic, mm-hmm. for them to be at almost 50 wins without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., to me is, I don't even know how they're, I don't know how they almost made the playoffs with what they have left over. Willie Burton? Will Barton, Will, I mean? Will, Will Barton's a solid if Will Barton is on the Sixers, Will Barton's probably starting on half the teams in the league. If Will Barton is on the Sixers, we're complaining that he's just simply not good enough. Actually, I would think if Will Barton's on the team, they'd probably be thrilled because he's better okay. than the bench. Well, listen, Will Barton is, well, yeah, he'd be coming off the bench. But he'd be the best bench player on this team. He'd be getting more minutes than Danny Green. He should, yeah, absolutely. But that's the thing. He should be coming off of your bench. He's their second best player. Right. <laughs> to me, you won 48 games and Will Barton's your second best player. Third, but I get your point. Aaron Gordon. All right. So Gordon. Aaron Gordon's not a great scorer. Listen, I understand where you're coming from. Your point is, is that 
Look at the fact that whether you like it or not, you're saying to the fans out there, Jokic, what Jokic did with what he was given is incredible. And I totally agree with that. I just think that there's two problems here. One, I don't think Jokic is the MVP of the season because I think that at the end of the day, if you take Giannis or Jokic or Embiid off their teams, they all stink. So I, I feel like us heavily focusing on the V at that point kind of kind of gets negated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Look, that's the thing. The argument for Embiid over Jokic from a lot of people in this area seems to be Philadelphia's 51 wins, Denver's a six seed. Denver's lost more than Philadelphia has. One, two, they're only separated by three games. Okay, mm-hmm. Denver and Philadelphia are essentially equal teams. Um, if you want to make the argument of of winning, Embiid and Jokic didn't win enough for my liking. Then why not Booker? Or why not just give it to Giannis and be done with it? You can't give it to John Morant because they were like 25-2 and two without him. <laughs> they were him. incredible But that him. team's unbelievable. The fact that they are 56 wins and Morant missed like 20 games this year. I, I took some heat a couple weeks ago when I put my foot down. So I think Taylor Jenkins should be the coach of the year. People were like, what about Monty Williams? And I'm like, did you see what he did with Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks when John Morant's not out there? It's wild to me. Yeah, um... Devin Booker is the best player on the best team, and he played sixty-eight games. It's not like he, you know, he didn't he didn't miss half the season. I feel like he just doesn't get credit. Twenty-seven points a game. I don't have a problem. He scores just as many points as Jokic does, thirty-eight percent from three, and he played for a stretch there without Chris Paul, and they didn't lose ground in the number one seed. Booker also plays more defense than Jokic does. Well, according to the analytics, Jokic is a good defensive player. Yeah. The analytics, again, back to baseball, they're missing the eye test. To me, we live in a world where people are so obsessed with what the numbers say. And I'm, I'm, I love numbers. I love stats. I'm cool with it. But you're losing the game in the numbers. Like, we focus so much on the analytics and the, the odds at the sports book and the spreads that we forget the game is still played on the court and on the field. And, and somebody just texted in that the East is better than the West, that Sixers would be better if they played in the West. I'm not sure that that's 100% accurate. I, I get it. I think this, the East is better this year, mm-hmm. but I will say this. Chicago was kind of a paper tiger. So their record looks really good. They're not all that good. Cleveland, for the most part of the year, they were a really good team. They were like a top four team in the East. Cleveland wasn't all that good, right? So two of your top eight teams were kind of eh for most of the year. My only pushback on that is when Cleveland and Chicago were healthy, they were very different. Like when Chicago had Lonzo Ball, they were a completely different team. Yeah, but that hasn't been now. since January. Right. And the, and with Cleveland... And Cleveland lost Jared Allen, and that's been a while too. Right. But my point is, is that if you took the teams that they were months ago and put them in the playoffs now, I think it's a... It's at least a different conversation. Oh, I get that. But the point this guy's making is that the East is so much better, and I don't know that that's really the case. Well, for the year, the East is better. It's like better, you, but you I, don't think it's, I don't think it is so much better that the Sixers would be a 60-win team if they played in the West. Probably not. Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, Dallas, Utah, and Denver 
all are just as good as the top six teams over on the eastern side, right? Yes. I think Denver's better than Chicago. I think Utah is just as good, if not better, than Toronto. Mm-hmm. Dallas smoked the Sixers when they played them a couple of weeks ago. Whenever that the last time they played, Dallas smoked them. Golden State and Milwaukee. I mean, I think Milwaukee's probably better than Golden State, but 53 wins for Golden State, 51 for them. By the way, the top three teams in the West have higher win totals than the top three teams out here. The fourth team, Dallas, has higher wins than Philadelphia. So the top four teams out West have higher wins than the top four teams out East. And Utah and Denver, I would take over Toronto and Chicago. The only team you can really throw into the loop is Brooklyn. And them at 44, they have less wins than Minnesota. The Clippers have more wins than Cleveland. The Pelicans and the Spurs are the two teams that you could say, eh, one has 36, the other one has 34. So their bottom 9 and 10 are slightly off from Atlanta and Charlotte, who have 43 wins each. I think the East-West thing is closer than that text message is making it out. I think it's closer, but I think that the West is a little top-heavy in just the fact that you look at the Suns, you look at the Grizzlies, you look at some of those teams, and you realize, you know, in their matchups in these first this first round, it's like I think Minnesota-Memphis is going to be a bloodbath. No, I agree. I mean, but I say Memphis has 64, Miami has 53. So their one seed knocks yours out. Memphis 56, Boston 51. Their two seed has more wins than your two seed. I think Boston might be a better team, though. I don't know. I think Memphis is really good. Like, I think the Suns are definitely better than the Heat 100%. Milwaukee and Golden State. I think Milwaukee's better even though Golden State has more wins. The problem with Golden State is Curry's not out there. They're, they're toast. No question. Dallas at 52, I think, is better than Philadelphia, who has 51. So I think their top four teams, three of the four, I think, are better than your four. And I'll take Utah and Denver. You can have Toronto and Chicago. I take Utah and Denver in seven-game series against Toronto and Chicago. I, if it was Toronto versus Utah, I'm probably taking Utah and sorry, like Toronto in the series. I right. think any team in the West blows out Chicago. Good conversation. You guys can get it on at 609-403-0973. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. Hey, don't forget to call my friend Dr. Paul Lewis at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. They are the premier clinic in our area for allergy elimination. If you suffer from allergies, Lyme disease, autoimmune disorders, adult and childhood ADD, ADHD, learning disabilities, insomnia, if you're someone that suffers from headaches, Make the call to Dr. Paul Lewis at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions, 856-285-4788. You know, for someone like me who struggled with allergies, that is not the problem anymore. They are taken care of. Dr. Paul did it. It was a quick, easy procedure. And I say procedure. I mean, it is very, very, very quick and easy. Um, Very unique. I will tell you that. I was uh, blown away by the whole situation. I was in and out, and it worked. I got to tell you, no allergies for me. The allergy issues that I have had over the years, which were awful. I try to go to sleep, runny nose, my runt nose, waking up in the middle of the night, sneezing. That's not the case anymore. And uh, I wish uh, that people out there who have allergy issues would make the call 
And if you haven't yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, but uh, make sure you do. Call it right now. 856-285-4788. Start feeling better immediately. Go to sjadvancehealth.com. All right, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, covers the NFL. And he is here with us on a Sports Bash uh, Wednesday. So we're getting 15 days to the NFL draft, Jeff Kerr. 15 days. It can't come soon enough. Although the Sixers, game six would be the same night as the NFL draft. What will you do? Uh, well, I'll be covering the NFL draft. Now, game seven, uh, I might have an obligation. Game to six. Go. Game six. It would be a game six if it, it would be the same night as the draft. It would be game six. Well, I'll I'll obviously be doing my duties and covering the draft. But it's funny, Mike. I will say this. Usually I work the mornings of the draft because I'm good at gathering news and getting some intel and stuff like that. So I might be watching the Sixers. It all depends. But I'll obviously be following along. That game would be in Toronto, by the way. So a game six, I don't like that schedule, uh, would be uh, in Toronto. All right, let's uh, get some takes from you today. Um, Steve Nelson, former Eagle, he signs with Houston. It really amplifies the necessity, Jeff, for a corner for Philadelphia. Do they get that corner in the draft, or do they go the same route they went last year and maybe a veteran guy, Joe Hayden's out there, a couple other corners. I think Gilmore is still available. Gilmore's on the market. Do they go that route or draft? How do they fill the Nelson corner spot? So this is what I would do. I would definitely draft a cornerback. I think they need to draft a high-end cornerback. Uh, you know, and there there will be guys. Um, you know, Trent McDuffie, Andrew Booth are two guys I'm looking at. Maybe they trade up, and maybe they like a Sauce Gardner enough. Eh, they want to trade their you know multiple picks to go get Sauce Gardner. I'm okay with that, but maybe they go both routes, Mike. They, they draft a high-end corner, or they they sign a veteran. And the thing is, though. If you draft a corner in the first round, you expect them to start week one. So maybe that'll ruin the appeal of a Stefan Gilmore and guys like that. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how the board plays out. But I'm not against Andrew Booth, Trent McDuffie, uh, Derek Stinley, or Sauce Gardner there with one of those first-round picks. Yeah, I definitely – look, I, I said last year, Jeff, the corners went, right? They wanted to get in the corner game, we think. Um, was Patrick Sertan that he got uh, somebody trade Denver traded up to get him? There was another corner that went right before him. JC Horn went right before Patrick. There you Sertan. go. So the Eagles didn't have a corner when it was their turn to pick that they liked. I would imagine at fifteen they're going to have a choice of maybe one or two that they are probably going to have on their board. Well, it was funny, you know. Last year we were talking about uh, the corner game, right? Well, I'm hearing Devonta Smith. The Eagles basically told him in the pre-draft meeting, we were going to go up, we trade up, we're going to get you. So, lo and behold, they did that. Um, but, you know, like like we said, who knows what their actual plans were. Whether I think they really like Patrick Sertan, but again, I think once Warren went off the board, Sertan went off the board, they said, all right, let's make sure we get our guy here. But, yeah, this, this year, I definitely think they're going to go out to a cornerback. I wouldn't be shocked if, if it was cornerback receiver with these two picks. Um, but... There's one player, uh, and I put it in my mock draft, that I would definitely draft um, if he was on the board of 15 or 18, and that's Devin Lloyd, uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I know uh, linebacker Lloyd, everybody's saying that's never going to happen. Um, we'll see. He's a uh, pass rusher, too. I mean, he can play both. Well, would, would he be your version of, like, Micah Parsons? Not saying he's Micah Parsons, but guy that you can move around. 
He would, he would be my version, yeah. Uh, obviously, you can move him around the defense, plays the middle like Michael Parsons, can play the outside if you need him to. Good off-ball linebacker, uh, can rush the passer. Uh, not not as great in coverage as Parsons probably is, but still, though, if you can get an impact player like that, and again, when last year, you know, we're going back to last year here. Three guys I really want. Sertan, one of the receivers, uh, obviously, you know, Smith was the last one, and Michael Parsons. So, you know, I, I'm still kind of... A little upset they didn't trade Michael Parsons, but when you kind of understand the optics of it, they need a receiver more than they need a Michael Parsons. All right, a uh, couple news items today. Um, Stephon Gilmore, he did meet with the Colts, and Deshaun Elliott met with the Lions, so you got a safety and a corner. When do you think these uh, secondary free agents, these veteran free agents, going to see stuff before the draft, still 15 days or after? We're still starting to see uh, the secondary market move a bit, at least in terms of safety. Um, I think some of these guys will sign before the draft to have their places locked. I, Deshaun Elliott's a good player. Um, if he's healthy, he's a really good player, and I think he'd be a great value for a team like the Eagles. Now, of course, we have Anthony Harris that kind of takes away the point of Deshaun Elliott, but I'd still like him here. I, I think he would be a valuable asset to them. Um, Terrell Edmonds, I'm still shocked he hasn't been signed yet. Uh, Teron Matthew, like, I guess the Rams are trying to kick the tires on, but Keep here in Philadelphia here. So who knows? He happened to like a tweet I had today where I put hashtag Eagles. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll see. Um, Matt Corral, Philadelphia. Um, you know, if the Eagles take a quarterback, they met with him. He's one of their visits. Uh, could you see 15-18 Matt Corral? Maybe in the second round. <laughs> I'm not ready to draft the quarterback in this class in the first round unless it's can't pick it or Malik Willis. And I'm not even sure I like Malik Willis that much. I just think he's, I'll call him Jalen Hurts with an arm, but I don't even know if he has an arm because I'm not impressed with guys that throw 70 yards when no one's going after them. I think that's the hardest evaluation to make in all sports. Mm-hmm. So where this guy can throw or not. And I I don't know, Mike, I, I feel like Kenny Pickham would be worth it, but there's nobody in this quarterback class where I'm just like, Wow, they need to go get this guy. Maybe yeah. 2023. Yeah, I agree. What do you think of the Derek Carr signing today? I like it. Uh, I do. And, you know, he had one year left on his contract. Could have easily been tradable. But I think once the Raiders trade for Devonta Adams, I, I think that was their commitment to Derek Carr. They said, hey, look, we're going to get you the weapons you need, and we're going to fix up this defense with Patrick Ray. Derek Carr has never played with a defense in the top 20 ever in the NFL. That, that That's insane. No wonder why the guys only made the playoffs twice. It's and he only played one, started one playoff game. And I think the Raiders looked at themselves in the mirror and said, you know what? We proved this year. We got the pieces. We can get the right coach in here. We can get the right coaching staff and add some talent. We can make some noise. I mean, they did win 10 games last year. We, we do seem to forget that. Yeah. Oh, listen, um, it, it's a situation where I think the Raiders now, and people forget, I talked about this earlier, Jeff. Adams and Carr went to college together. People forget because they went to Fresno State, but they played together uh, at Fresno State. So they, ha- they it's not like you're just throwing Adams into a new spot here. These two guys have a relationship. Yeah, and they were a dynamic duo. I mean, this was, this was the reason why Derek Carr and Devonta Adams, I remember going into the draft, scouts were looking at, hey, you know, maybe they should draft these two together. And obviously Carr got picked early in the second round, and Devonta Adams got picked a little later in the second round, so it was kind of hard to do, but... I remember there was talk about that in 2014, like, hey, maybe we should pin these two together. These two have been so productive together. They've been so good. And eight years later, they're here. 
Uh, Jeff Kerr, USFL is starting this weekend. Um, is there anybody of note in the USFL that you're looking forward to seeing? So I did all the rosters today, and overall, I wasn't really impressed. Uh, you know, a lot of guys I've covered when they were in high school are in the USFL, so I'll be watching that. Um, in terms of star power, it's weird to, to say, but there are a couple players um, on the 2017 Super Bowl champion Eagles that are in the USFL. Oh. They, they were guys that they got rings. They, were, they weren't there when the Super Bowl was but do you remember, like, Trey Elston, the cornerback? No. <laughs> okay, he, he called him up for, like, a week or two. I think it was against the Chargers or something. He only played a couple snaps. He's in that league. So you're getting the optics here. Um, I'm trying to think who else was in. Uh, Devontae Bosby's in the USFL. You obviously remember him. You remember him, yes. Yeah, uh, but quarterback-wise, it's – remember Luis Perez uh, from the XFL fame? Uh, yes, I do. Perez, I yeah. remember. Paxton Lynch, yeah, yeah. I think, he, is in this league, right? Yeah, he's on. Yeah, he's on Houston. Um, I remember not being very impressed with the quarterbacks in the draft. Like Paxton Lynch, if he was the highest profile guy you have, I was kind of like, whoa. Yeah, it's like Kyle Aletta, um, you know, guys like that. I, I mean, I've known Kyle Aletta for years, so I'm going to be watching Pittsburgh Ballers games because of him. But you know, overall, the quarterback class, it's. I think it's the problem when you have two spring football leagues because the XFL is coming next year. I think some teams are – some players are willing to wait and say, hey, you know what, we'll get in a league that's in cahoots with the NFL. So I don't yeah, really know two, how the USFL is The two-spring football thing is really watering down a product that's already watered down. That's one huge problem. Um, I always wonder, like, are these teams trying to find – the better players or why they don't get the more recognizable names, even maybe if they're not, maybe if it's like, Oh, this guy, Luis Perez is slightly better, but I'll take this guy. Cause he at least is a guy that fans will know. Yeah. Well, like I think I'll defend the leather here. He was good enough to be on the NFL roster last year. So it was kind of shocking to see him go to USFL, but if you want playing time, that's kind of what you do. Now, this is what I would do. And again, I was on WIP with Steve Trugalese. This was years ago. And we were talking about spring football. It might have been when the AAF was, was up and running. And he said, why don't the NFL make a spring football league or gang cahoots with one? And you had the bottom of the roster guys and the practice squad guys mix together on teams or, you know, combine to form eight teams. And that would be something to watch. And I, I said, I would watch that. You know, I watch my practice squad stars on, on a team. And I even said, why don't we open it up a bit like the G League does and let the college guys come in and let them play some football. And that would be the star power you need. Like, what if you're Trevor Lawrence, you were too good for college football the last two years of your career. And you say, you know what, I'm going to go make some money in the USFL or XFL. I think that would be star power. Um, that's this weekend. The Philadelphia Stars, by the way, they are back. The New Jersey Generals, they are back. They are playing in Philadelphia or New Jersey, by the way. Yeah, all the games are where? In Alabama? Birmingham, Alabama. And then the playoffs are in Canton, Ohio. (laughs) Interesting. Is that for this year only? I think so. I think they're doing it to survive year one. But when the XFL comes back and they're in cahoots with the NFL. Yeah. I just don't see this league lasting. I long. think this league's trying to get bought out by the other one, maybe, and boom, maybe combined. I think like that. the AAF was hoping for that. It never happened. Well, the AAF was monetarily run poorly. It was a very good league from 
people yeah. I know who played in the league, they, they said one of the problems was they were overspending. These guys had first-class flights. They were getting treated like NFLers. I'll tell you what, it's a shame XFL 2.0 didn't work out because I know a lot of people that were really invested in that, and they loved the kickoff, and they loved all the innovations they made to the game. They, they thought the XFL would stick around, and quite frankly, before the pandemic, I, I thought the same thing. I thought they would definitely go longer than a year. All right, uh, he's Jeff Kerr. We'll talk more draft NFL on Friday's show as we get uh, closer to the NFL draft. Looking forward to that. And uh, Sixers playoffs on Saturday. Phillies lose today. Flyers lost 9-2 last night. I bleep and hate this place. You know, I have a funny story, Mike. I almost was going to text you before I came on. I said, yeah, the Phillies aren't over yet. Are, are, is the station running the game, or do I have to come on? What's the deal here? But I was like, oh, okay, that, nope, that, no that question was answered. No Phillies, no Phillies. Um, no Phillies. But uh, we'll talk to you Friday, pal. All right, you know what? No one should say I bleep hate this place, Aaron Nola. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man, I bleep and hate him right now. All right, Jeff. Well, I do, too. I'll talk to you. All right, there's Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. Check out his mock draft over at cbssports.com. That's up there as well. Friday, we got more on the NFL. We'll get ready to wrap up the show coming up next. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, get ready to wrap up the show. Before we go, we were talking about Embiid and Jokic and who should be the MVP. Well, Embiid's teammate, George Niang, he had a vote. It's pretty clear who he would vote for. Take a look. I don't even know where he went off somewhere on social media. He had a video of something somewhere and just started to go off on the whole situation. Let's just say Niang is not a big fan of analytics. Take a listen. Joel doesn't win MVP. I'm going to snap. Whatever. F- some nerdy statistician wants to pull out of his ass. F- out of here. I understand Jokic is missing like Jamal Murray. like, But... At the end of the day, like, we were top four in the East. Like, we started off the year, like, eight and two. Then we had, like, a massive COVID strike, like, literally where it wiped out, like, the whole team. And then has found a way to just pummel teams with, like, 40 and 10, 40 and 15, then 40 and 20 the other night. And it's like, you look at him, he's a seven-foot Kobe Bryant. Like, you look at the stuff he does with the ball, like, step back, it, I mean, I don't know. It, it bothers me, and maybe I'm biased because I'm on the team, but, it, like, Honestly, I've seen a lot of players, and he's got to be the MVP, especially what he's doing this year. We've had so much drama around, like, the team and the fact that he can be a leader through all that and still dominate at a high level for 82 games. I think that says something. I think the Embiid uh, for MVP, that part at the end there is interesting, that Niang basically came out and admitted, hey, we had all this drama around this team. That didn't get publicized enough. The whole Simmons thing and then – all the stuff, the COVID, they got crushed by COVID. Um, but he said he's like a seven-foot Kobe Bryant. And, you know, look, I like Jokic. I don't think he's the MVP of the league, personally. I, I think that uh, the six seed's too low. I think the four seed's too low for Joel Embiid. Now, you can make an argument. You take both those guys off their team, they aren't even in the playoffs. But I don't know what the MVP is even supposed to be. So, generally, you go to the best player on the best team. That's really all you can do half the time, isn't it? I mean, I thought the point he made was very interesting. He was like, look, about the drama you mentioned, do you think a lot of the national purveyors of media don't understand how much fiasco it was with the Ben Simmons stuff? I think they should. I mean, everybody kind of talked about the fact that, hey, you know, the Simmons stuff, they got all this going on, he hasn't played. But then Jokic, of course, didn't play with two guys either all season long. 
Uh, people talk about Jokic. Somebody said he gets doubled less. That was written in the story. It says if Jokic is double less, it's because other teams fear his passing as much as his scoring. And he goes back to a time where Doug, Doc Rivers actually doubled Jokic in the Clippers-Denver series in the 2020 conference semifinals. And Doc said, well, what do you prefer, to let him score? Because they kept doubling him, and Jokic just kept finding guys passing out. So teams have now doubled him less than they used to double him because the article describes his passing as transformative, like that he is such a good passer that you simply can't double him anymore. It's a good conversation. We'll keep it going tomorrow. Uh, I'm out of here. I'll be back tomorrow. Josh has game night, Weinberg, Wednesday. But before I go... It's your last chance to qualify. Caller number seven right now, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller number seven, you have a chance to pick your trip. One lucky winner will get to pick the Eagles road game of their choice, which includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Go to phillysportstrips.com to plan your next Philly road trip and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller number seven, you are going to be qualified, but you must be present to win at Slack Tide Brewing Company. Can't wait to see that place. 1072 Route 83 in Cape May Courthouse. Caller seven, good luck. I'll be back tomorrow. Josh has you till seven. Game night is coming up next here on 97.3 ESPN. Have a great night, everybody.